three, two, one. I am become Neil Breen, destroyer of corruption. <laughs> Isn't that corrupt? This is Sardonicast. I'm Adam from Your Movie Sucks. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you got You got just. You got to pretend like you're still like the as if someone else said it, and you just say it after. You I get, still yeah, say there's your, like no one to like bump it into. Yeah, yeah. I'm Alex from IHE, and there's no Ralph to bump into this time. No one, no one here to bump it. I guess bump into. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Hundred, hundred, Only five some years. episodes. Five years. Couldn't really figure out which one of you to go first. <laughs> Just fighting for that top spot. Yeah, top dog. Uh, we saw Oppenheimer. Uh, it was a film, uh, and we're actually, I know everybody's probably asking, uh, why aren't you doing Oppenheimer and Barbie in the same episode? It's because we're having a guest on next week, and uh, mm. they didn't want to talk about our Oppenheimer, and they will be seeing Barbie and want to talk about it, and so I figure we'll save that for that one. And uh, Yeah, the movie event of the year, Barbenheimer. I didn't actually see them both on the same day, though. I, I, I didn't do what it. What the fuck? Mostly because of that. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Why? It, it was mostly that three-hour runtime, you know? I, uh, man. Three-hour, <laughs> it was, what, six hours, pretty much? And then it, ugh, I don't know. I don't know. It didn't ruin my experience of both. I still had, like, crazy busy screenings and, like, an energized audience each time. So okay. I don't feel like I missed out, necessarily. Did um, you dress up? I dressed up like Spider-Man. Yeah? <laughs> that was you? <laughs> <laughs> that was actually me yeah okay <laughs> yeah i don't know this is this was interesting um there's a yeah there's a little article i found i'm going to bring up later that's kind of these old directors seeing like trying to predict oh is, is something changing right now like on the verge of like something changing in hollywood like the, the two biggest films of the year so far are, are both like they're still based on kind of ips or real people or whatever but they are more original they're not superhero movies <laughs> that's one thing you can point out um i don't know i was not expecting a three hour long biopic courtroom drama basically to kind of connect as broadly as it did but i guess that's the that's the nolan power baby it is the you can, nolan you power can bring people in yeah you could make whatever the fuck you want excited yeah and i don't know i feel like his last few movies that they've been kind of losing me because I feel like I really got into Nolan when I was a teenager. I was like the perfect age for like the Dark Knight and Inception and this kind of stuff. But then where he was taking his ideas, they weren't fully landing for me. Like you know, Dunkirk, it's it's well made, it's good, but I just don't have an emotional connection. Similarly to um, what's his previous one? With, Tenet. You know, the completely inaudible Tenet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was pretty, I was pretty easy on that movie when it came out. Inaudible and incomprehensible. <laughs> 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 Yeah, and there are things I like about it and moments I remember, but there is it is it is Nolan to the max, you know. It's like all the stereotypes wrapped up with like a a big big Nolan bow. Yeah, um, it's a parody of a Christopher yeah, Nolan film. Basically, yeah, and I've definitely kind of soured on that one and haven't really revisited it. Um, so yeah, I was I wasn't really sure how this one was going to land because he's not really working with his brother anymore and it seemed like maybe that was the missing link like oh, really? that team was like what kept them together yeah I, I don't know it's it's hard to know that there's a lot of moving parts with films of this kind of scale and magnitude but i don't know this this was bringing me back um i feel like this is one of his 
his best films, to be honest. Okay. I was, I was shocked. I was shocked that I was fully entertained for the entirety of that three-hour runtime because that was my biggest like, put-off. Like, I thought... We've we've been complaining about it for like so many episodes. Like everything seems to just be getting longer and longer, and it never really seems justified. Or you can just see like parts that could be taken out. And I know you don't necessarily agree on this, but yeah, I was shocked. I was able to be kind of fully entertained, and it did ebb and flow. Like uh, within that three hours, I feel like the first twenty minutes or so is a bit of like a. Oh, man, I, d I really didn't want to like. I wanted to avoid the bomb puns, but I was going to say bombardment <laughs> of like, <laughs> uh, of, of like the kind of those Nolanisms. You know, he likes he likes that that quick kind of quippy dialogue. These short little yeah. scenes that feel like <laughs> they don't feel like. Yeah, I think how do people describe it? Kind of like trailer. It doesn't feel like real people talking, is what you're trying to say, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. And there's there's like a quickness to it. It doesn't feel like scenes are like really breathing, and it's like confusing as to what's kind of being set up and like what characters are supposed to be doing what. But I felt like it did start paying off pretty quick for me once you reach in that thirty forty minute mark where it's like, oh, this is. This is like such a big story and so ambitious in what it's trying to set up and tell. I was like forgiving that kind of clunky beginning because um, it did start kind of reintroducing characters. And it's like, oh, remember this random scientist that was in a scene for five minutes earlier? Well, he was actually instrumental in this thing that actually happened, like progressing here. And it's like, yeah, it's really complicated. And I wish there were subtitles because I'm, I'm definitely not a history buff when it comes to this kind of stuff. I know very little about Oppenheimer as a person. Um, but I think that's another thing that makes this movie so cool i feel like it has inspired a bunch of people to get in to this this period of history and yeah as i was trying to say earlier about like some of nolan's recent movies like tenet feels like it wants to be important on a certain level you know interstellar feels like it wants to have this like backbone of like this is this is something real man this is something as important as I want it to come across with that like booming sound, there's like music playing every single second, everything, everything's epic, you know, for lack of a better yeah. word. And the the subject matter here actually matches that vision to me because it's like, yeah, the more I, I was just kind of getting emotional, like uh, halfway through just kind of thinking about the scale of this and the fact that like, <laughs> this is like a real story and a real breakthrough that someone came through and all the moral and political and all these social implications that come it's like a really interesting character because that's another like trend that was kind of putting me off like this idea of biopics are a trend in hollywood right now everyone wants to be making their biopic about Cheetos. rock stars important people scientists cheetos tetris <laughs> whatever there are, there are a couple of good ones but like i feel like th this this would exist without that trend anyway. It felt like he really wanted to tell this and he was really impassioned about this character. And of course, it wouldn't be Nolan without some kind of time or non-linear approach to that time. Because of course, like the structure of the movie is jumping through different time periods. And again, that was another thing that kind of added to that clunkiness to begin with. Um, but also again, as, you, as, as the strings start reconnecting towards the end, I felt like it, it really brings it together nicely, especially for that very end scene where it's, you know, coming back to, um, I guess, spoilers. Can, can you say spoilers for like a, the real thing? <laughs> is that really like... I mean... <laughs> it's like a real person. Everything he did is like... I, I guess. 
I would yeah, argue I even I, I would argue even real events you could spoil a movie by talking about them. Just, some people assume that everybody knows everything about every event, right? So like I didn't I didn't know what was necessarily going to happen at the end of 127 hours. I didn't know it was going to happen at the end of Christine. I didn't, you know, like I don't I don't look up the stories of things before I watch the movies for them. I I intentionally avoid that sort of yeah. thing, you know, like Dear Zachary and blah 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 blah. I'm not going to like be like, "Oh, what's this about?" and like look up some article or you know maybe i'm just like i don't think i'm hiding under a rock but i just i don't search things up that don't interest me i guess or or that i wouldn't otherwise it yeah. really depends but i would argue you can spoil that uh as in the same etiquette should probably apply but anyway this is a spoiler conversation so get the fuck out of here who hasn't yeah. seen oppenheimer you idiot you could watch a cam rip right now you lazy and some of the like negative trends that have like kind of been boosted by this whole barbenheimer experience it's like a new trend now like people for social media clout like taking pictures of like that's funny they they want a sad frame of uh killian murphy like in a certain scene or they want to get like for a meme basically but they they leave the flash on and annoy everyone and yeah experience so yeah there i i did hear about like some annoying people doing that during some screenings of Oppenheimer. My screening, you could fucking hear a pin drop, you know, if the movie wasn't yeah, playing. Same with mine. Um, did you watch it in, like, IMAX or, like, what, what kind of... No, it's a, it's a bummer, actually. Like, the last thing I'd seen in IMAX see was Tenet. Um, yeah. And ju- just, like, a month or two ago, my local IMAX closed its doors and, like, people were showing up to its... Perfect uh, to, timing. ...to screenings. Perfect timing. Um, and they... They just printed out like a piece of A4, like, yeah, sorry, like, we're closed now. We don't have any money. Did they like sell Whee! tickets and then close? Or did, because tickets were available for this movie for a while. Um, I think it was like just before. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It was more around when uh, Asteroid City was out. Yeah. I know. Yeah, they probably could have made some money, but I mean, it must have been just been hemorrhaging stuff. Like, Damn. I don't know. We're, we're not doing that great over here. Yeah. <laughs> So I saw it in one of the like 35 total theaters on the planet <laughs> that can play 70 millimeter IMAX. That's definitely the way to see it. Yeah, I'm jealous. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, maybe when you're maybe when you're in Toronto there'll be if you want to kill 3 hours and go by yourself, there might be like a IMAX uh, they're still playing it, honestly. But uh yeah, I, I mean, it is the way. Yeah, it it is the way to see it. It was definitely really visually striking. The huge contrast between like different aspect ratios is always really interesting. It's like a, a really tall, mm-hmm. kind of like almost square frame, but not really. And yeah, for the for the context of how it was used in certain scenes, it really added a lot uh, to it, and it made it more of like a you know cinematic experience for sure. That being said. I have no interest in seeing this movie again. Um, uh, As much as I liked it, (laughs) I liked parts of Mm. it. I find it interesting, I guess, psychologically, how different people connect to different things in terms of whether or not they're a true story. Because that's a that's if we're looking at human beings statistically, like if you say it's a true story, people are more into it. Right. That's why that's why they lie to you and say that it's a true based on a true story in like horror movies or like other. And Fargo. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the gag. 
yeah, that's the gag in Fargo, but it's like a real thing that they try to do for marketing when the strangers, like this is based on a true story. It's like, okay, well, the people in the movie didn't survive at the end. So what was the story? They found some dead bodies that two people died at some point, and then you made up everything between the beginning and end of it because no one was there to tell the story. So what's the story you're saying happened? The new fucking stupid, stupid ass, like, Adam Ellis Twitter thread horror movie trailer. And it's like, this is a true story. It's like, the true story is that someone posted on Twitter and is a dumbass. Like, what? They thought their house was haunted? What? It's true that there were ghosts? Like, what are you saying? So we know that we know that this is like a verifiable thing that can be done to make people more engaged in or interested in the film. We We know that this is true. That's why they do mm. it. I think to some degree, everyone is susceptible to this in some way because i was you know i i have those thoughts watching oppenheimer of like wow interesting you know trying to connect it and tie it to the real world events but i'm not i'm not sure i maybe there's like a scale or a spectrum of how different people are affected by it because i just find personally that i'm not really the type to enjoy a movie more because it's based on something real like i i still find a way to separate those two things in my head or at least i you know maybe i'm just more conscious of it or maybe i try to do that i'm not sure maybe subconsciously i i try to treat the film as if it wasn't a real story does that make sense okay i i yeah i get what you're saying but it's also i feel like it enhances it too when it is something of this importance i mean like <laughs> it's what the biggest man-made calamity ever yeah you know like as far as people it's like i feel like contextualizing that and really exploring the mind of like the person who enabled that to happen is like an interesting story mm -hmm. and i feel like what you're saying is especially true um because i feel like there are examples where yeah, like the, the, the real life true story is something important, um, but how it came together as a movie didn't really leave the impression something like this did, be it like, I was thinking about the imitation game a fair amount. Again, you mm -hmm. could argue someone equally as impactful as a person as far as like what they invented or managed to achieve in that time. But like, what do you remember about that movie? Like, it's not like the most... It's a pretty matter-of-fact kind of story, like, you know, yeah. similarly to like Darkest Hour, you know, there's, it doesn't have the the grander kind of narrative framing that he's going for here with this like timeline thing. And not, it's, it's not just about the hoorah, we, we got we got the, the bomb done in time to glass Japan, <laughs> kind of, that's, <laughs> that's just like the end of the second act pretty much. And then it's like, hold up, this... <laughs> There's actually like a, a grander implication to this and it's yeah, how it leaks into the Cold War and this yeah. obsession with communism and yeah, what the American government were trying to hide and all this like espionage. It's like, oh, so at, f at first I was kind of thinking, because th that's really where a lot of the tension comes from, is that race of them setting up this place in the desert in secret trying to get this, this job done. Um, and there is something... Uh, there's a little bit of tension lost once that kind of wraps up and you know where it ends and they've done the like test and stuff. That's, that's probably the best scene in the movie is that, uh, that sequence where they're, they're testing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and not just cause it is like the only kind of action type 
spectacle um you'd expect to see from the nuke movie um but again like pretty restrained as far as that stuff's concerned like i really liked how it was rooted to the character of oppenheimer and his yeah. perspective of it like it's not cutting away to like show japan he like he just uh, yeah. hears it over the radio Let, let's watch the know? michael bay version let's try to imagine that for a second <laughs> michael bay yeah. is oppenheimer it, <laughs> yeah that would be yeah, fucking oh, nice man. <laughs> <laughs> somebody make it somebody make it in 10 years when ai can actually just do it somebody do it okay remind me in 10 oh, years make man. it an ai when it's when you can do it yeah so i i guess i guess what yeah. i was trying to i guess i just want to clarify i think it's possible and i do to to value the importance of a real world event by watching the movie, but still keep the movie as a separate thing in your mind. Not saying like that it, it they're literally separate, not saying that there literally is no connection between the film and the real life events, but in terms of like judging the film, right? In terms because because I think that no matter what real life event that you're telling a story of, you're fictionalizing it in a certain way. You're you're the di the dialogue is movie dialogue, right? Like you're mm -hmm. you're dramatizing yeah. it. You're creating a film. All film is fiction, even documentary to a certain degree. If we want to get like philosophical, like there's no objective truth in any story. So yeah, I when, when I'm watching Oppenheimer, there was oh my god, one of the <laughs> somebody somebody linked me a, a Twitter thread of someone who was calling me out for saying that I that I was bored for half of Oppenheimer and their mm -hmm. justification wasn't a clip from my review and it wasn't any like substantive justification it was just a clip from the trailer with Matt Damon saying like this is the most important thing that's ever happened in human kind ever and so yeah I guess the I guess the argument to some people is that the subject matter of a film alone <laughs> is is justification to be entertained by how the film presents the subject matter no matter how it presents it right like some people mm. they just literally can't separate separate this and it had like fucking 300 reposts or whatever we're gonna call it now fucking quentin reviews liked it for some reason uh weird <laughs> um oh really yeah he's, he's been doing some weird shit lately <laughs> talked about this <laughs> podcast uh without mentioning it in a very very bizarre way anyway uh not gonna dwell on that but yeah to some people it's like it's like they literally cannot separate the real life event or at least the significance of the real life event uh from the film and the filmmaking and how the film is presenting itself which i just find to be bonkers like it's the exact same reason why people are pimping out to uh, fucking the sound of freedom but you know you can use that justification mm -hmm. you can use that justification to pimp out the fucking lorax you know like the the lorax is a movie about <laughs> environmentalism so you you know that's an important issue does that therefore mean the movie is not boring fuck no Right? Like, what are we saying here? Like, I, I think it is important to separate those things. Um, it's about the the craftsmanship to me. It's about the filmmaking. And I, I just, yeah. Seeing as you brought up the Lorax, you've got to tell me why you'd be watching the Lorax. It was, uh, <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Because I, I collabed with another channel. We recorded, like, a long-distance <laughs> movie-watching thing. And, uh, yeah, fucking horrendous cancer. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't expecting that. To I didn't you. even realize that I was watching my second Illumination film. I didn't even realize that's what I was doing. And then over time, I was like, oh, minions are in the 
intro. Oh, was Mario your first Illumination film? I think I guess so. so huh? Yeah. Damn. Okay. When I <laughs> now you've seen their real best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, Mario was a two and Florex was a one. So yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the, uh, the the product tie-ins, the little ironic product tie-ins they did for that movie when it came out? Oh, it was no. like a really funny car advert using like uh, the Lorax imagery. <laughs> Just missing the entire point of the movie. Um, uh, yeah, sorry, get, getting distracted by Lorax right now, but... <laughs> I got your attention. <laughs> I yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that it is, you know, if you're judging a film... You know, maybe maybe it's not possible to separate it in the minds of some people, but for me, it, it is, or at least to a degree that I feel is different than what I perceive the average person is as doing, especially with uh, X threads or whatever we're going to call it like that. Like, okay, it's clear that some it's, it's literally impossible for some people, and that's the justification alone. So, yeah, I, I have a different experience. Yeah, that is a bad argument for why something is good. Yeah. Just because it happened. Because it's about the most important thing that ever happened. It's like, okay, well, fucking mm -hmm. if Derek Savage directed it, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's still about the same yeah. thing. It's still about the same thing. But, yeah. Fuck. fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> people are so dumb. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you can distinguish the execution. It's, like, it's, not, even, it's not even a complicated argument. It's not even like to, for for me to even be explaining this feels condescending for like the reality of the world. Like this, it's disappointing <laughs> to be reminded that I'm in a reality where like apparently this is a complex thought. <laughs> Appar apparently this is not like a very simple thing to understand that isn't already just a given. But like, okay, so weird yeah i think a lot of people find it hard to actually explain why they do like something you know yeah like if it's a feeling like a verbalizing it can be tough i guess yeah um, but that that is a bad reason but yeah. man, I, I really think he executed on it like the, the fact the mere fact that it is a three hour long biopic and it has it seems like it has everyone engaged i don't know what your like makeup of um your theater viewing was like, but it was like people old and young, like everyone seemed engaged with the film. Like, yeah, you could hear a pin drop. It was, mm -hmm. it felt like the, the story was executed very well. Um, cause like, yeah, the, <laughs> the, no, the Nolanisms are scary at a certain point. I was like, Ooh, early on some of those dialogue scenes and some of the framing of it was a bit like, you know, kind of dull as far as like blocking is concerned, just a lot of like shot reverse shot type stuff. Yeah. Some of the editing was fucking weird too. Like there were there were some shots in conversations where it was like three frames of just some guy's yeah. faces. He's spawning. That's the thing. I've, some of the editing scene by scene was kind of a bit, and I rushed a bit. Like it felt like it, it just had to be there to just for the mechanics of everything to be in place to get like working. Because I think broadly the editing is actually quite good. Um, the way it is juggling these different timelines and. Just the way it was able to not get too muddled in that, and I felt like I was always pretty much in line with what was going on. I was understanding the greater context of what was going on, like who was being referenced, even like convenient little flashes of like characters they're talking about that they they put on screen. Because I'm so bad with names, and there's no subtitles, and they just presented it in a way where I could keep up with what was going on. Because there's so many characters you bring, you bring up in your review, it almost becomes a gag at a certain point. Like yeah. how many just like random it's, character actors are appearing. It's like fucking the Avengers. Like it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, you get Valerian wow, like showing dude. up for five minutes. Dane DeHaan. 
<laughs> thank God for thank God for Dane DeHaan. It's the man. boys. They are all superhero <laughs> actors, which is inevitable at this point. Also, it's kind of funny. Yeah, we true. got Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got Young Han Solo. Oh, true. How did you? Speaking of Iron Man, how did you? Um, how did you feel about like the whole Strauss angle? Because I, I felt like that was a little longer than it needed to be, particularly you know, in the grand scheme I of the story. That I, I felt down. that being like much less interesting than what Oppenheimer was doing. Uh, I don't know why we got so much of Strauss. Yeah, I feel like he was kind of the avenue for them to explore the the more corrupt side of mm-hmm. like the American government because um, that needed to be explored in there. And this weird, you know, tension, the commie tension, yeah. and because I really liked that side of it and what it did bring out of the characters, especially Oppenheimer. Like he's a great like character study. I feel like. Mm-hmm. I, I liked that side of it too. I felt like they'd thoroughly explored all of it and then kept going is my issue with every every sort of like interesting thought and like the whole you know red scare communism thing like everything i i found it really interesting and engaging and then they kept doing it and i didn't feel like it was building to at least enough of a degree to justify how much of the film was spent on it you know like it, the the film has a lot of really purposeful intellectual things to chew on but mm-hmm. it's it's it felt stagnant and stale after a while. I was like, oh, this is a great thing to touch on. And then they touch on it again. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is going to happen for a while. And then they touch on it again. And it doesn't really seem to justify why it's still doing that for me anyway. You didn't think that when it was revisiting characters, it was kind of recontextualizing certain dynamics or like... Uh... You know, the safty bro keeps showing up, like, mm-hmm. and each time his kind of stories embellish a little bit more, and the way they clash in the courtroom, like, all these years later. And I, I felt like every time it was returning to a thread, it was kind of like adding something to a character or pushing something forward or explaining this little question mark mm-hmm. to do with this bit of espionage and betrayal here, or, you know, like, I, I didn't feel like it was wasting my time in that regard. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you felt that way and that seems to be most people's experience but yeah, there just there wasn't uh, the, the, sure there was a uh, Benny Safty's character wasn't what came to mind in terms of like that complaint. Mm. I would say just more or less like there were there were certain dynamics and certain scenarios that had already been established particularly the whole, you know, the the courtroom stuff was really long and drawn out. I don't if you didn't feel that way I'm happy for you, but for for me, I I didn't really feel like I was getting much more out of it uh, as it was progressing, and you know, again for for me, if I'm watching this as less of a uh, true story and more of just a movie, I don't know. I'm like I'm I'm not a history buff anyway, and I I think it's important mm. to uh, you know, as I'm always trying to do to. Uh, share your biases and so you know in my review i said i'm not a i'm not a history buff i'm not a history guy you know it's not like a subject that's like the most interesting thing in the world to me i know that a lot of people are you know i think you're i think you're more likely to really be absorbed in this movie and enjoy it if you have already have some sort of like fascination or interest in in uh that subject but i'm i'm just kind of like yeah, um, I don't know. 
<laughs> it was a three-hour movie. I, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I do agree with you in the sense that the momentum does kind of change gears after a couple hours. Um, and if you weren't interested in what's going on outside of it as much as that, because you, you can't deny that's kind of like the, that's the heart of it. That's the ticking time element, you know, it's what the mad rush to get this thing done. Like, mm -hmm. It's the, kind of the most interesting part. Um, but the way it does start kind of fleshing out what is going on with this Lewis Strauss character, um, that kind of like started building up like right as I was looking for something else to attach myself to, to try to conclude. Cause yeah, it does feel like, well, how do, how do you even wrap this up? To be honest, how do you, <laughs> like, it, it's such a broad, like epic for lack of a better word, like going over yeah. decades and decades, you know, um, it's, it is very ambitious. It is very ambitious. It's a, it's a very bizarre project to tackle and try to turn into a film, especially with what they decided to include. This to me feels like Christopher Nolan's version of like a Terrence Malick film where he probably filmed like a fucking five hour mm. movie and then just cut it down. <laughs> like it really feels yeah. like that, especially in some scenes. Like a lot of it feels like it's edited like, like a trailer. A lot of it feel like from the beginning of the movie, it's like, oh shit, like, you know, the music's like mm -hmm. super intense already. It, everything's a fucking montage. And then, you know, I was like, wow, this is an interesting kind of experimental approach from Nolan. Wasn't expecting this. And then half of the movie is like that. And half of the movie is like a normal scene. And it's it, it was just kind of a jarring experience to me. And again, I'm not I don't know. I'm. It sounds like I hate the movie. I didn't hate the movie. It's just like not for me in terms of something I would want to revisit it again i'm glad i saw it in imax yeah. like, I, I got a lot out of it experience wise but like the whole picture you know I, i'm sure you i'm sure you understand to watch a three-hour movie you gotta love it <laughs> you gotta yeah, love yeah, it definitely i guess that's where i differ is that i guess i'm more forgiving to that kind of stylistic choice of that almost like montage approach to dropping exposition but the, there is God, there's so much exposition, really, when you think about it. Um, it's just they're talking about, it's just scientists talking about, like, the next step, the next breakthrough that happened, the next, uh, whatever. Because this is based on a, a uh, biography, I think. Um, yeah. It's called, uh, it's How I Learned one. to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. <laughs> yeah, <I> just here, <laughs> but I've lost it. Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't know, I feel like, as a whole, it did, I felt like it was almost like the only way to get this into a package that wasn't longer, you know? Because I've, I've actually seen that as a bunch of like feedback, people saying, man, this almost could have been longer. I don't know how you feel about that as someone who doesn't like the runtime I mean, as much as it is, but I probably, I could watch an extended version of this, like if it would like sort out some of that kind of pacing stuff, some of those awkward scenes earlier on, but like, yeah, I yeah, change the editing. Maybe. I'm kind of disappointed. I wasn't able to see this again. Cause I've just been so busy, but um, I'm kind of like really excited to see this again, um, which I haven't felt about a Nola movie in a while. Mm hmm. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. What'd you think of, uh, I loved, I loved uh, Lyndon Johnson <laughs> character. <laughs> that, was, that was really funny. Yeah, I, it's got like a, it's got loads of great, uh, kind of bit roles. Yeah, um, like most of the roles, loads are bit of roles. characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's kind of the thing though. Is like very bizarre. Emily Blunt is good when she's in there. Matt Damon's really good when he's in there. Uh, 
I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm a sucker for like this, uh, this courtroom stuff a bit more because I, I found yeah that stuff with uh, the Macon Blair and these character actors like defending each other and bringing up all this old beef and it's I don't know. It's like it's just fascinating to me. Um, and yeah, I feel like the Nolanisms actually enhanced the story instead of hindering it. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't feel tenanted to me in any way. It felt like it feels like he's back on track. Um, it is kind of interesting having Christopher Nolan do like art housey stuff, or at least try. Like, what did you? How did you feel about like the weird naked in front of them scenes? And it's like, okay, this is obviously supposed to be, you know, talking about how he's feeling naked and vulnerable in front of them, and how you know his personal sex life is being exposed to the people in front of him and you know it's like a visual metaphor for that it's like felt kind of silly at the same time right like i it felt i i thought that that was a very weirdly comical presentation of it i don't know if maybe it's just because i didn't take the rest of the movie as as quite as seriously as you or how did you feel about stuff like yeah that? i didn't read it as comical um i actually kind of really enjoyed that stuff especially when he's going into that hall of the cheering people and how that was like edited and executed mm -hmm. where he's not really thinking about the immediate. Yeah. Um, and it becomes, yeah, kind of more like a horror scene, more of a him realizing in the moment, kind of the, the implications, the greater ones as, as to what he's just achieved. Um, but I think the fact it is kind of rooted to that one character, it really helps keep it cohesive to me. Um, so that kind of stuff, like, yeah, I quite liked that shot where, so Emily Blunt seeing the naked, you know, it's like the drama that is being forced upon them in this this just mess of a court case. And mm -hmm. yeah, so with so many messy threads, I feel like, yeah, the fact that it is actually so coherent is quite a plus, to be honest. Um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as you did, because people I was I was all honestly kind of expecting people to be like, God damn, I wish Ralph was here to defend the movie because I, I wasn't sure what you, you would think of it. But yeah, glad we had a bit of a um, different experience on this. And uh, I'm giving this one a six out of ten. It was uh, well presented for the most part and uh, good IMAX movie three hours. Did you pee during the movie? That's my real question. I didn't. I somehow managed to Damn. Yeah, there, there was no urge. Not. Yeah. I did not either because I mm. deliberately did not drink coffee before the movie. Yeah, that would do it. That would do it. Yeah. Um I was yeah, I was quite surprised by how much I I was into this. Um yeah, it really felt like uh all these little Nolanisms that have been building over the years and all these ideas that just haven't connected just right. They, it's just packaged in just a the story that's right for him, the person that's right for him, that kind of dialogue he loves, I feel like just goes hand in hand with these like scientist quippy type characters. Yeah, I was able to keep along and I wasn't bored for those three hours. This is like a really strong uh, four star for me. Um, eight out of 10. Can't wait to see it again, to be honest, which again, I'm, I'm shocked by <laughs> the... Especially when you describe it as what it is, a three-hour courtroom drama. Um, but Killian Murphy, man, I think feel like he's a great actor. Same. Really does the character justice. Yeah, he was great. I'm glad he gets his three-hour. Like he's in like basically every scene. Yeah, and he he really holds it together. Yeah, he was he was great to watch. I like I like seeing him in lead roles. Doesn't happen as often as it could yeah he's always kind of been the, yeah. a long time collaborator of christopher nolan and he's always just kind of showing up as side characters but 
I remember the days of like fucking 28 days later and I haven't seen The Wind Shakes the Barley. Yeah, I think he's quite a star um, in the UK with like Peaky yeah. Blinders and stuff. Ooh, I know that's that, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Nothing quite on this level. I feel like Oppenheimer's just like a, a household name in a way. It probably should have already been. Um, but I feel like it's energized it for... Just younger people, especially, because I, I just think about, I don't know if you've seen these kind of trends where it's the, oh, I'm old kind of moments where, yeah, you see like shorts or TikToks being shared of like, this is the history of 9-11 stuff, you know? It's like, oh, I guess there are people that don't know about like <laughs> this stuff and it's not even history from that long ago, mm -hmm. really, World War II, not, not even a hundred years. There's 22-year-olds so. that were not born in uh, before 9-11. Yeah. Just, just disturbing to think about now. Yeah. yeah, here we are. I'm not disturbed by it, but that's live. I thought it was synecdoche. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, it's uh, it's all, it's all a matter of uh, perspective and how you interpret it. Anyway, speaking of interpretations, we saw Cade the Tortured <laughs> Crossing, a very uh, dense, very interpretable film. Alex was lucky enough to catch it. Fucking how many months ago did you see it? It was months now, wasn't it? Yeah. So in the Prince Charles Cinema in London. Um, yeah. <laughs> Heaps of people, everyone cheering. Uh, <laughs> really fun experience. Um, but yeah, also like, oof, how, do, how do you, where do you even start with this bad boy? Yeah. So be Man. before we, before <laughs> we like really delve into it here, part of the reason we're covering this on this episode is it's still playing. It's still playing. And you should all fucking see it. If you if you can find a city or a theater that is playing it, you know, even even in his audio only list of the, that he released, there's more theaters playing it now. There's some theaters that are doing encore showings. I think the Montreal one is playing soon. Uh, you might be able to buy a ticket still if you're a patron and listening to this now. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean they're they're playing in, into September for sure. So. Get your fucking tickets. And also, I really, if there's one thing I really want to communicate here, is perhaps perhaps a, a conversation on, like, the etiquette for, like, a Neil Breen film. Because mm. there's a, everybody goes into this knowing that it's something that you can, like, riff on. That there's going to be, like, clapping and cheering and, like, someone will shout a comment and be like, look out, Neil, or something. And, like, you know, that's all fun <laughs> and good. I think that there's some few people in each screening that maybe need to be told that although it's fun to riff on the movie, they shouldn't be narrating the entire thing. Because I talked to some people after the, the show in the show that I went to, and they were like sitting next to some people that, you know, it was kind of like distracting them the whole time. I've, I, this, this is the third time I've seen a Neil Breen film in theaters. Uh, I saw a Twisted Pair in theaters twice. And when I was there in, at the Chicago show, there was someone behind me that like, you know, for the first five minutes was like just talking, narrating everything. He, he was still talking about the movie. It's not like he was having a separate conversation with his friends, but he was talking so much and so frequently that I just turned around and I was like, hey, I know it's really fun to like riff on Ooh. the movie. I know that this is the type of thing, but try to keep your commentary like to, to try not to be talking the entire movie 
That's fair. You know? Yeah, you don't want them practicing their stand up, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, they're yeah. trying to do mystery science theater sometimes, you know. Yeah, it's like a, I, I had that when I went to see uh, one of these room screenings. Oh, um, those are just garbage now. Um, those are just garbage. <laughs> people throwing shit everywhere, like everyone's drunk out their minds and like just hooting and hollering. Yeah, could be fun for a bit, uh, but like <laughs> the ro- the room yeah. is a fucking like Oscar movie story, and like every everybody's grandma knows. Oh, hi, Mark. You know, like. It's Neil Breen yeah. is where it's at now, and I'm not trying to be elitist of like, ooh, this is this is better because less people know about it. I'm just saying there's a certain point where it kind of gets ruined. You know, when a when a meme is nice and healthy, and then a brand yeah. starts using it, it's like, okay, this is not this is this is less pure, not because it's popular, but because it's like more cynical in how it's being used, and you have you know the the motivations for the people attending or like the type of environment. Like, the room is one movie. It's one movie and it's like fucking 20 years old or however much. There's no new observations to be made about it. I'm not going to make a review of it because there's there's nothing to say about it that hasn't been said. Everybody in those screenings is is doing the exact same shit. They're doing all the like it's 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 so inorganic because everybody mm. everybody knows exactly what to say at exactly what time. It's like you memorized it, like you studied it. Neil Breen films like they're new things that come out. You can react to it naturally. You can have like an actual genuine experience with it. And he's still fucking pumping out bangers, right? He's like, he's unfazed <laughs> by the self-awareness. And maybe to some degree, there's parts of this movie that we can argue are maybe playing into some things a little, but he's still, he's still pure and he's still genuine. And even if there is a hint of self-awareness here or there, he's still delivering and he's giving people a fucking awesome experience and something that they want, right? So... Yeah, that's my little rant about the room, but the 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 core of that rant is centered around try to be resp- please go to the movie, buy a ticket. I want his shows to be sold out, but be mindful and respectful of other people and how you're riffing on the movie. And also, if you're one person that's being bothered by that, don't be afraid to just politely speak up and ask. A person going to a Neil Brain screening, like it's not this isn't this isn't a, <laughs> this this isn't uh, the sound of freedom. You don't have to be like scared if the person next to you is like crazy and holding a gun. Probably, like it's a bunch of YMS fans. <laughs> it's a bunch. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's literally just a bunch of my fans and red letter media fans, etc. Like that are showing up to the movie. <laughs> if you if you ask politely, like it'll be fine. There there won't be any conflict. You, it'll you you don't have to worry. Just 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 be like hey. You know, say what I said. Hey, it's nice to you. Know, or uh, don't, don't be afraid to speak out for other people too. You know, have I, I want these. I don't want these film screenings to be the best film screenings that anybody's been to in their entire life. I want everybody to have fun. So we can we can enforce that by having good community standards and and self policing and uh, yeah, promote good etiquette. I think uh, it's it's kind of good you brought up Tommy actually in the. The kind of played out nature of that um because that, that does seem like the big difference where the intent is like so obvious to the room you know and like the reaction after he's still tweeting to this day like the room memes and it's like yeah yeah that was so that was a while ago now, oh dude. hi um, mark same <laughs> line bart <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Whereas Keo, like, I don't know if you got theories, but I'm just like trying to, I'm trying to figure out with this guy. It's like, like you can engage with know? that. You can engage with it. It's perfect. <laughs> like he, he knows that 
that like white tiger thing. Like, he knows how that looks. He must. Yeah. Do. Spoilers for K the Tortured Crossing from now on. <laughs> doing a spoiler discussion. Like, come on. <laughs> like the the bizarre uh, stock footage and like every everything's like a needless green screen. Everything is a green screen. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's here's my theory for that. Is that this might be like a COVID production movie because this this has been completed for like a year because he was doing the festival route. So this movie is not like yeah. oh freshly made. He was doing he it was it's been completed for a long time and it was doing the festival route. It probably took a long fucking time to edit. I think it was just one guy editing the whole thing, right? And every and if everything's green screen, that might have taken a year too. He might have filmed it in like 2020, 2021. That might be why mm. there's no real locations because this is the first of his films. Where I don't think there is one actual location in the entire film, and every everybody's just a green screen or stock footage. <laughs> like this, this is unprecedented for Neil Breen, right? So, okay, yeah, I'm no Breen expert. I, don't, I think it might be a COVID film. Yeah, because like they're having a full fight scenes and stuff, and they're clearly just like on separate layers, just phasing like <laughs> <laughs> through each other. I I remember that music in the fight scene like it was yesterday. Yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's that's the thing, though, is that Neil Breen has never looked at a limitation and thought, no, <laughs> he's looked at a limitation and thought, I'm going to make the movie anyway. Like he fucking, you know, even if even it, when he had real sets that I was I watched Fateful Findings. I did a rewatch like a few days ago. Uh, that one's got to be my favorite. And there's certain aspects to it where it's where it's like, OK, you can't. It's not possible that a man in his 50s doesn't know what a hospital looks like or doesn't know <laughs> like that it, that it looks fake when when it's just like air tubes and no actual piercing of the skin and he just like pulls it like it's just putting air into his wrist like I don't know <laughs> it's very confusing what the disconnect is between what he puts in his film and what's in his head or what he thinks looks real or what is real in his mind it's something to interpret but I feel like he maybe just he cares so much about the story he's trying to tell that he's willing to tell it mm. no matter what and in whatever way he can, which is actually like I'm not memeing, but like a really kind of admirable and important thing to get in the mindset of if you're trying to write. So many writers get bogged down about the practicality of what they're going to be shooting mm. and it limits what sorts of things they can write now. Neil Breen, I'm not saying is he wrote the best story because of that. The best example of this would be like Charlie Kaufman. Like he wrote Synecdoche, New York without even considering how the fuck that was going to be filmed. Like he just he just mm. wrote he wrote something that was true to himself and he wanted to tell this story of like the fucking fractal image reality of viewer and and artist and and participating in art and life and death and everything and nothing and one thing exclusively and everyone and one person at the same time. And he didn't think about how he was going to film it realistically. Like maybe he did. He's the director, but like it just happened. Right. So mm. I, I think there is something to learn from, from people who aren't kneecapping themselves in that way. And maybe to, to, to a certain degree, Neil Breen does. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to a certain degree, yeah. I, I, so I, I guess on that note, I'm just curious. Like, if I sit down and read a Kaufman script, I feel like there's a 
as an A to B to C like kind of beautiful narrative being woven there. Mm-hmm. So, what, <laughs> what what am I reading on the the tortured crossing script? Like how's he justifying like the the, the white tiger guy coming out? Um, <laughs> Or is it just like I need I need something to fill this shot here? I had this kind of vague idea for like I guess I filmed them like walking over a bridge or what I thought was going to be a bridge, and I found this like PNG of a bridge on Google. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what, what's the what's the balance there of like the absolute nonsense absurdity to like actual earnest, genuine like storytelling? I, I I actually can't tell. Like I feel like I'm being trolled somehow. You know, I like, but we don't know <laughs> what's the truth here. Exactly. We don't know. Yeah. We, we, it's it's not possible to tell at the moment. And he's so yeah. I'm not gonna say who I know or what type of. I know some people in some industries that have like interacted and had email conversations with him and particular things. And he the, yeah. the 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 conversations that I've heard from those people that I will not specify anything about. The the, the just the, the takeaway is like he is really that person and that he's like very and he'll get like really hung up about certain details of what's happening in his script and feel like you know like there if someone if someone like misinterprets a thing he'll be like no you know in a very okay. particular way you gotta res- that is the earnestness you gotta respect yeah you know that is yeah i get what you're saying that i, I happen to l- <laughs> Rewatch a few episodes of Xavier Renegade Angel. Yeah. I feel like he's he's kind of he's kind of got the vibe of that character, like an old version of that character. It's just like Life. I don't <laughs> I don't know what's going on. There's he's got like an android eye, and it's like a screen it just freezes yeah. for like a few seconds. It's like <laughs> did you did you rewatch Tri- Twisted Pair before watching this? I didn't. I didn't have a chance to rewatch, so it has been a while. Okay. Um, I couldn't remember the complexities of, but yeah. I didn't think it was going to matter that much. To no, me it wound up not really mattering at all. All you need to know is that there's <laughs> Cade and Kale. Cade is the one without the beard. Kale has a beard. Cade is like good, and Kale is like kind of bad and like a drug addict or something. Mm. Otherwise, the like the, the idea of calling this a sequel is like fucking bizarre. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> you, they didn't need to be those characters. I don't under I have I not sure how this was justified. So like let's try to 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 try and summarize this newest film is difficult, particularly because people haven't cracked the code and put it on Wikipedia. So in Twisted Pair, you can actually just read the plot there uh, on Wikipedia. There's oh, a plot summary. And d- if anybody listening, don't do it before you watch the film. Always watch the Neil Breen film first. Then read the Wikipedia yeah. plot summary after, because you'll you'll learn fascinating things. You'll be like, "That's what the fuck was happening." So, like in in <laughs> Fateful Findings, I recently read the uh, uh, Wikipedia plot summary after, and I was like, "Oh, this the sniper that was trying to assassinate him." Spoilers: assassinate him <laughs> at the end died because the main character Dylan, played by Neil Breen killed him by reflecting the bullet using his psychic powers like i didn't i've seen the film like fucking 10 times i didn't know that's what happened but it seems but i read it on (laughs) wikipedia i'm like that that makes sense as to what he was trying to do and then i think are there are there just people that 
are on his wavelength that know what the fuck he's doing? Are there nerds that are just obsessively trying to figure it out and then they come up with a good explanation? Or is he editing his Wikipedia pages? <laughs> yeah, what if it's the wrong interpretation? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, but it makes sense. <laughs> when you read those things, it makes sense. That's the issue. It's not like absolute nonsense. That's why <laughs> That's why it's kind of entertaining. I, I shit you not. I don't know if I should just uh, no because you haven't seen Twisted Pair in a while. Otherwise, I would I would read the plot right now. It's a few paragraphs, but I'm encouraging anybody to watch Twisted Pair, then read the Twisted Pair plot <laughs> synopsis on Wikipedia because it it's like it, it's an insane experience. Well, if if you had to try to do it for Cade, what did what would you say? So it's like okay. from memory, like I did I didn't know anything down, right? There's like okay. an asylum, there are like these people <laughs> there's like magic. <laughs> so Cade had there's a bunch of people he raised money from some people to build a hospital, and then the hospital gets built and he says out loud that he hasn't seen it, and he's like, I haven't seen this hospital yet. And then later he <laughs> finds out that the hospital is bad and like run down and that the people there are like kidnapping i guess drug addicts off the street and then stealing stuff from their bodies and then putting them back out onto the street and then kidnapping them again instead of just keeping them there <laughs> and there's some of the some of the people are like they i th there was one guy that said out loud like this is this is the worst uh Detox, what's it called? Rehab. There's another word for it. Oh, yeah. A rehab clinic. I yeah, say. he was like, this is the worst rehab clinic ever. But I think that he was mistaken. I think he thought it was and that it actually wasn't. But I don't, I still don't understand the motivations of like what they were stealing from the people or injecting them with, maybe. They were doing some sort of experiments on them, and I don't know for what purpose. Yeah, there was like that one scene in the, the, doctor's surgery that he kept cutting to like every 15 oh, minutes. Oh, that was great. Like, ages. <laughs> and this other guy shows up. He's like, get out of here! I'm busy! <laughs> yeah. And that had a payoff. There were there are payoffs in this film. He learns... Neil Breen has a great feel for setup and payoff. Because <laughs> there's, you know, there's things that get called back later in the film and, and, and are satisfying. Very much so to an audience full of people watching it, ironically, especially. You know, it, it's... Uh, what 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 are the rules with the when like people I don't know they die or get like sent to another dimension or something they like just phase out you know um I'm not sure <laughs> but maybe it's possible that even if we see the same actor that maybe the implication is that it's a different character maybe and maybe they did die and maybe they captured a new person or something that that might be the case. Okay, that, yeah. That's yeah. really confusing, but okay. Yeah. At the end, when the keyboard man was playing <laughs> and the other characters <laughs> had a dance-off, which was incredible. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the dance-off. That was, that was one of the best scenes. Man, <laughs> that was so satisfying. And then there were a bunch of like ghost versions of themselves behind them. I think that... I don't... It's it's it. I'm trying to understand if they're supposed to be different characters, the ghost versions of themselves, because it wouldn't be the first time that Neil Breen has copied and pasted the same person <laughs> trying to be and, and implied that it's different character. At the end of pass through, there was like a bunch of bodies laying in the. Yeah, now you're saying that that is making things okay. 
that does make things kind of make more sense, but also less in a way. You know, now I feel like I don't. Even <laughs> yeah, I don't even know anything that really happened. Yeah, it's uh, it's interpretable. Is the strongest <laughs> word <laughs> to, to describe this film. And I, but here's the thing: I'm happy to see it again. And you know what? I'm lucky enough that uh, I I already know where I'm seeing it again, and I'm not going to say where. I'm not going to say which city, but I get to see it twice in theaters. So hell yeah, yeah. I get to. I'll I'll come up with a better interpretation on uh, second watch. I'll be. Uh, I'll try my best to be a translator. Although like. It seems like some there's other people that exist that are just far better at that than me. But yeah, so but Kale, Kale the Beardy Boy was, I think, stealing <laughs> either drugs or maybe the th- things from their bodies or something like, I don't know. Were they like, were they just like stealing drug addicts and then like stealing the drugs from their bodies or something? Like, I don't know what was going on. They never really explain it in any way. Yeah. Like, was the was the evil Cade, like, linked to it in any way? Like, what, You mean Kale? Why was he there? Kale, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My favorite leaf. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. But he, uh, he died at the end, and I don't remember... I don't... And I don't know how that happened, necessarily, but it was very sad. Yeah, I, that, that was my favorite part, the whole, like, battle sequence slash dance-off thing. That yeah. was... That was quite the crescendo payoff <laughs> action spectacle. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's what, like a bunch of, I don't know, I remember him like repairing a Range Rover or something. Yeah. It's like broken down with his magic. <laughs> He's yes, like a, he did that. Is he like from the future or something? He's, where, where do these powers come from? He's an advanced AI. And <laughs> f- in the beginning of Twisted Pair... I think he's a cyber human. So I think at the twi- in the beginning of Twisted Pair, there was stock footage of like two twin children. And he's like, one of us <laughs> got powers and the other one got powers, but one of them used it for good and one for evil. And the there was like a weird like 3D rendering of like some face. And it's like, I don't know if that's the, the face that gave them powers. And it's weird because we never see that in this film. So you'd like you'd expect as a sequel, they would like tie it back in that way. Mm. In terms, in terms of how they could have shown and edited things in this newest film, that like as a sequel, they could have done a lot more to to tie things in. Maybe there will mm-hmm. be a third film of these same characters. The Maybe true capper he- to explain. Yeah. yeah, there's purposefully not things being answered. Yeah, setup. I see. <laughs> yeah, every shot was a green screen, and it's. Largely incomprehensible. Or like random B-roll. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that like, doesn't footage. seem to link to anything. I liked a lot of the, um, the like boardroom scenes of like executives like standing <laughs> in like such awkward positions, like in like yeah. just the most bizarre, like, just, <laughs> just completely random like framing. He's he's got a great mise en scene. Every <laughs> he's got every frame of his films is a painting. Every frame of painting in his film. Like, mm. legit, like, okay, you you can't fake this. You can't replicate. It doesn't matter how self-aware thing. he is, because whatever he's doing, 
he knows what the fuck he's doing, like, in terms of creating, like, an entertaining film. If anybody, if anybody's out there listening who has not seen a Neil Breen film, Fateful Findings and Twisted Pair are his best ones. Like, they're fucking classics. Like, Fateful Findings is just, like, scene after scene after scene of, like, just bangers, you know? <laughs> like, it's like, last time I watched American Psycho, I'm like, wow, every scene's a classic scene. <laughs> like, it's the yeah, same with yeah. Fateful Findings. Like, we got spinach. <laughs> we got Jim drunk. We got the barbecue, you know, <laughs> we got no more pills, no more books. It's, yeah, it's that level of dedication. Like, it, it, it's too much dedication to be a shitpost, like a, an ironic thing. There is too much of an earnestness. But ha that's the thing. Even, even, if, even if, let's say, there is some level of self-awareness now, even if we were to say it was entirely self-aware and he's like faking the whole thing. A lot of people that are trying to replicate this sort of thing or think that they're replicating this sort of thing or are trying to make a so bad that it's good movie, their biggest mistake is they use that as an excuse to be lazy. They use the irony as mm. an excuse not to try. So that's what separates mm. something like Birdemic 2 from Black Dynamite. You know, that's a film that yeah. didn't use that as an excuse to be lazy. That's a film where it's like it's there's an insane amount of effort put into the goofs and gags and uh, so bad that it's good nature. And there's details, there's subtleties, there's, there's, it's, it's very densely packed with, with, with what it's trying to do. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to not try. Everything's going to be in front of a green screen and therefore it's funny. There's something there. There's something there. And I'm glad that he's, you know, continuing to, to be the lead actor in his films. I think that's a huge part of it as well. Yeah, if he's if he is fully self aware, he he's an incredible actor. <laughs> yeah, an absolutely incredible, mind blowing actor. If that is the case, then like man, I'll be bowing at Breen's feet because that would be that would be something else. Like if he just reveals in like ten years time, yeah, I knew all along exactly what this was. <laughs> I'm not sure I would believe him <laughs> unless he. <laughs> yeah, but that's what makes it the the ultimate gag. Did you watch his? So he released a five and a half hour long five film retrospective documentary where he pretends <laughs> to talk about his like secrets of making movies but really just doesn't say anything and just repeats himself for five and a half hours on two different dvds and he just like no yeah it's insane it's like like that's a that's a weird window into his world <laughs> we're like he'll he'll just actively like not say how certain things are done but essentially he thinks that the substance there is just him saying that he's a legitimate filmmaker over and over again and him saying like i went to i had sold out screenings for my latest film i went to france here is the set for that it's like he's showing a, it's like an, he's an old person slowing a, showing a slideshow he'll just show like some behind the scenes photo like <laughs> here is uh during twisted pair we filmed that this thing and then here like but you're not going into any details about what you're doing you're not going like it's not this isn't a helpful documentary to anybody that's <laughs> trying to learn filmmaking or even understand yeah. you well i guess it in some ways it invariably is a way to get into his mind but like not in the way that you would want out of a <laughs> it's, it's like the most repetitive thing ever like he literally just like keeps repeating the same shit it just it says essentially nothing <laughs> kind of essentially though. nothing <laughs> It's but that's that's a part of the magic here is that he 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 must not be entirely self-aware, right? But the fact that it's up for debate it, is so special. You have to imagine it's so right? special. It, like yeah, this is, this is art. 
you can make you can make an argument that that his art is as meaningful as any other piece of art that's ever existed. You know, like people clown yeah. on him, people shit on him or what I don't I don't know how many people are shitting on him. A lot of it is like ironic love and enjoyment, but it is coming from a genuine place of love and enjoyment. Like I love his films. I'm excited to see I'm fuck how many fucking movies do I watch twice in theaters in a year? Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like how many how many times does that happen where I'm like I'm so excited about the experience and I had such a great time watching yeah. it and I love the energy of the crowd and like I love just seeing him successful. I love, you know, that I I was able to help share his films with more people and and that he's able to fund his projects even if yeah. even if the the budget isn't really <laughs> there <laughs> he, pro he probably is making a, a good amount of money like he could probably do you know it hopes so right it's like like i don't know about the screenings you've gone to man but it's like hundreds of people i mean yeah surely he's getting a little kickback or something for like, sure <laughs> he's selling out as in not in a bad way yeah the screenings are selling out in the, in the intended way yeah yeah Look, what is the point then that where it would be ruined when 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 does someone go go from the the Tommy Wazoo to the okay, this just stopped being funny. Like the Derek Savage thing is funny up until a certain point where it just kind of becomes like sad, you know? <laughs> like here's the fucking thing: Neil Breen is the exception to the rule in the sense that Tommy Wazoo made one good movie, one earnest movie, and then tried to replicate it because he was like. First, he retroactively said, it's a comedy. I was trying to make a comedy. And then he comes out with <laughs> The Neighbors, where he is earnestly trying to make a comedy. But when you earnestly try to make a comedy and fail, it's not funny. When you earnestly try to make a serious mm -hmm. movie and and fail, or whatever our definition of fail is, then it is funny, right? Like, it, you create yeah. something special when you really tr try. When you're doing this insincere, like, oh, I'm, I know how to be funny, and I was doing it the whole time. Trying to be part of the joke. That's yeah. the rule. Neil Breen is the exception to the rule. Fucking James Wynn, Birdemic, did the exact same thing. Birdemic 2, mm -hmm. absolutely unwatchable, because it thinks that it's a yeah, part of the joke, abysmal. but it can't be, because he doesn't know how to be a part of the joke, and that's what made Birdemic 1 special. Samurai Cop. You know, fucking lightning in a bottle. You got every other example. Uh, you, you know, sure, you can list some directors that consistently put out some so bad that they're good movies, like M. Night's done it more than once. <laughs> you know, th there's there's some Uva Bowl, but, like, those ones aren't as enjoyable. Like, they're more just boring. Like, in terms of mm -hmm. the, the really uh, ripe and juicy so bad that it's good films... Neil Breen's the only one that's making good ones and hasn't been ruined by self-consciousness or criticism to a degree that has ruined his films. To some degree, he has been aware. After I made my video and uh, <laughs> it blew things up a bit, mm -hmm. the, the, the promotion for his next film, I think, yeah, the, the one he made after the video got popular, he said, don't worry, there won't be any laptops. And it's like, okay, so that there's some things that he takes to heart and some things that he's... Oh, and, considered yeah. as criticisms. Man. So there's less laptop. There's no laptops anymore in his films because he thought that that was a legitimate criticism, I guess. And there's no, there's not as I, I don't know if if past fateful findings, as many people in his films drop things and fall and have like weird like slapstick moments. <laughs> I know it happens once in Twisted Pair, actually maybe twice. Maybe that one's not ruined. I don't know. But yeah, there's there's certain things that have been self-consciously altered, but the heart, 
the soul of what makes this film special remains intact. So, yeah, I'm happy about it. He's a fucking artist. That's, <laughs> that, that makes it even more confusing, though. It's like, okay, so that's, <laughs> yeah. that's something you'll interpret as a legitimate criticism. But why <laughs> Why not other observations? <laughs> God, that's like, just open the floor. What 4D chess is this guy playing? <laughs> remember remember when Derek Savage, like, you know, I made my Cool Cat video. He changed, he, you know, you can't find the original cut of the film anywhere anymore because he's he George Lucas'd it because of certain criticisms so he removed he added a shot of cool cat looking both ways before he runs across the street right he removed his playgirl magazine photos from his web children's website <laughs> like there's certain things that he he decided were like okay yeah that's fair but i think derek savage might also kind of be a person where you know i i don't know if you've seen his youtube channel the the content he makes is still very funny <laughs> it's just he's yeah. he's not neil breen in the sense that uh Neil Breen is still creating films every couple of years, whereas Derek Savage is just trying to rebrand the same film over a decade and not really creating new Yeah, films. what was the last new thing he actually released? Like, it seems like it's just cool like... Cool Cat Fights re-edits. Coronavirus. <laughs> it was like 20 minutes long. And then he does the 420 Awards sometimes. The, the one coming great. out soon is the, uh, <laughs> the quote-unquote fifth annual 420 Awards, because we're not sure where the fourth one went. <laughs> but He's um, <laughs> just skipping it. <laughs> we don't know. It could have happened and was never released, or I don't know. The poster says fifth annual, but there was no fourth. They, they skipped the year. <laughs> was really the, the first 420 Awards show, he said, we want to become the fourth largest awards show in Hollywood by four years. And then he skipped the fourth year. So it's like he never has to admit defeat if there was no fourth show. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Maybe. So I don't know. taking it quite literally, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we, we can only interpret. What so, a character. Yeah. Both, both Derek Savage and Neil Breen are incredible characters worthy of uh, voyeurism. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah no that's the thing because there's like man I, I don't know how you feel about like chris chan and that type level that's obviously not as like a different thing entirely yeah because i just don't know where that line is where it's almost like this this should get mean you know it's like is this, is this person like so like so they have they lack self-awareness to a degree where they're almost like humiliating themselves you know like, that's what the chris chan stuff feels like to me yeah this it crosses into the threshold of like in court, there's people that are considered not mentally there enough to be held criminally responsible yeah. for certain things. I don't know mm-hmm. where Christine <laughs> is on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't. If I. It, it's the subject matter is just way too long and about things that I don't really care about for the most part. Where maybe if somebody made like a really you know what is it like fucking 50 like half hour to one hour long parts of the comprehensive documentary on chris chan like i i i i make a make a fan edit of that shit maybe i'll watch it but like i got i got bored into like episode three i was like i don't really care about this yeah i was in the same boat the content that chris chan is making is not as funny as like neil breen or Derek savage and i don't think it's the same category even of person no no, the kind of lol cow type phenomena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a weird one. Uh, Cade the Tortured Crossing, I'm giving this one a 10 out of 10. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Five star, 10 out of 10. Woo! So, uh, 
an experience you're not really going to find anywhere else. It's a unique <laughs> film. It's full of twists and turns and surprises. I, you know, part of me while watching the film was like a little disappointed that it, you know, as halfway through, I'm like, is, did you just green screen the whole fucking thing? Like, is this just going to be like <laughs> only in these locations and so stagnant and just this happening over and over again? But then immediately after I realized it's probably good that I'm a bit disappointed in that sense because that means he's still pure and he's not just playing towards the audience in a fake and calculated way that there is yeah. a way to be like, wait, this is, you know, what we're watching is like kind of bad. Like the, for that to still be a thing that can happen watching his films, I think adds legitimacy to the to the argument that he's still very much pure and that it's not like all a phony fake thing right yeah it doesn't feel like the like the incredible bulk or something yeah it, it does it does read different he didn't just do twisted pair again despite it being a sequel he didn't just go oh here's what you want i'm gonna give you the exact same thing yeah he, he did he just made another movie and then he went the opposite direction <laughs> and and <laughs> yeah. in many ways he did the same thing because he makes the same movie over and over again and you know did certain he has the breenisms but it's still a fresh surprising <laughs> film. Yeah, people say that about Wes Anderson, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly! Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Always green at the end of the day. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Alright, we have a film recommendation from... Hell yeah. What's your name? This is a special movie. Um, I he. I he. I he. I he yeah. she. Um... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> sorry i uh i got a little anecdote to introduce this uh perfect this movie right here um just a, a really ran uh, a roundabout way as to how this movie was introduced into my life right um <laughs> this is like a a weird determinist thing that you kind of set into motion when i when i visited yours a couple years ago mm -hmm. um when i was leaving you were like just giving me some like uh, nice like foods and stuff and like local st stuff to you that i won't be able to find and of course in vancouver there's like a large asian population so you gave me a bunch of these like random noodles like these noodle brands including yeah. this like this crazy like spicy one it's like ridiculously spicy like, like just yeah eat this something like that yeah so, you're, you're like eat this if, if you want to challenge yourself or something um so like fast forward to once i'd been home and like settled after a few months and i just found them in my my cupboard or whatever and just made them up it set me on this crazy path, this journey, because I liked it so much. It was awesome. so delicious to me. Um, but I've just been <laughs> find the best. I went, I've got this like basically, yeah. Like I've been trying. I've basically crowdfunded this this like noodle recipe um, on this like secret Twitter account. I have. I think you found it recently. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I didn't know that you did this on. Like I I found it recently. What what the fuck happened? This was a while ago. Now, yeah, yeah. This was. <laughs> Crowd on this like recipe. unhinged this unhinged noodle journey um yeah. where i was like 
posting all these pictures of the, the noodle goose from the Kung Fu Panda movies that also <laughs> shares the noodle connection, trying to make the best noodles. And like each time I was posting a picture of my latest noodles, there'd be replies saying like, oh, you got to add, try adding like a bit of a coconut brick in there. Or put a bit of sriracha in there. Nice. I'll make sure you get the shitashi, <laughs> shitashi mushrooms. And it's just building and building. And now I've got this ultimate like noodle recipe. Hell yeah. And how that leads back to this movie is that under it was like one of my final ones before I'd kind of gone out of this obsession. There was a reply to the picture saying, "You've got to watch the movie Tampopo." Um, so that's kind of how it, it, it was introduced into my life in this weird, crazy roundabout way, thanks yeah. to the the noodle gift. Um, Perfect. You can trace it. Yeah. Back. <laughs> So yeah, this is uh, the 1985 film Tampopo by Juzo Itami. Um, just a full-on comedy, uh, Japanese mm-hmm. comedy. Because um, I, I, I'd heard, I'd only heard about it, and I did actually know. I was recognizing scenes while watching it. Um, I think there are some pretty famous or infamous, or however you want to describe them, the scenes from this movie. I'd definitely seen in places before, but. Um, is kind of known as a ramen western, a kind of spin on the spaghetti <laughs> western label, um, tongue in cheek. That kind of says a lot about the film in and of itself, to be honest. So it kind of the, the tone it's going for, what it's trying to achieve or say. Um, but yeah, it's like a very simple setup, just like a, the framework of a western, um, a couple of uh, <laughs> their milk truck drivers, I think is the link. Um, but they're, mm-hmm. they're, these noodle experts rock up to this town um, and there's a struggling ramen shop run by this woman, Tampopo, and uh, they kind of fall into this master apprentice type role and <laughs> it's, it's a journey of Tampopo trying to make the best ramen in the, mm-hmm. in the town in order to save her business uh, and make a name for herself. Um, yeah, all framed in this kind of wacky, absurdist comedy. Uh, it's it's it, it, it's not quite what I was anticipating. I thought when I when I'd heard this like description of it being more of like like a parody of uh, the average western or whatever, um, I was expecting it to yeah lean more into those trappings, and they're yeah. there, but much more vaguely, and it's much more in service of like pretty wacky comedy. Some of which is like vignettes completely unrelated to the plot entirely yes. like they're just these whole cutaway gags um and at first i was like kind of getting confused what what some of them meant yeah. uh, or like waiting for them to like come back or like pay off in some way when <laughs> the only thing really grouping them is this broad uh theme i guess of just food and especially with how it intersects with like relationships and sex and like the humor that can be found through kind of the social norms that uh, especially were established in japan during this time Um, japanese culture with food is very particular yeah and there are definitely a bunch of things about that i was sure i was probably missing obviously being from the west um and i was finding i found i managed to find this uh 2017 articles like a cultural guide to tampopo it reckons where it was like pointing out some of the things we might miss um not being japanese obviously like little things where things that we maybe wouldn't consider as taboo or kind of cutting edge as far as like commentary or things to joke about that would have been in this movie at the time like uh 
I can whip up a couple of examples. Please. Like the whole framing um, supposedly was taking the noodle, uh, like the ramen restaurant, because traditionally, like a typical ramen shop is staffed and patronized by men. Um, yeah. Da, da, da. You see, Japan, despite its modding trappings, is a deeply gender-segregated place. While women are, of course, welcome in ramen restaurants, ramen is considered a quick meal for working men. What's the equivalent environment for women? Spaghetti shops. Don't ask me why. This was even more the case 30 years ago. Taken in this context, Tampopo's struggle in the film isn't just about making ramen, but about showing the world that a woman can be a master ramen maker. Because, yeah, I was like... With with the comedy angle and like some of the lines towards the end, like um, <laughs> I the, didn't the, the old the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the old man master guy. He's like, frankly, I never thought a woman could become a good noodle cook. Yeah, type stuff. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little bit confused as to how to interpret that, but it feels like this is a heavy satire. Um, to me, like what it's trying to do and try, what it's trying to break down. Like uh, another one is the the scene where all the women are like delicately trying to drink their noodles without making a a yeah. single noise, and then they look over and there's like the white man slurping, um, and they just give in to <laughs> their their wills and just start all slurping in this like crazy. There are a lot of elongated eating scenes in this movie. Very, um, and, 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 and it, it, it is funny. Like, uh, so not all the the jokes land, and some of the vignettes, like, were like, I'm not really sure <laughs> what I was trying to say with that. But a lot of them are like really kind of cringe comedy, like quite quite unusual. Um, kind of taking the grossness and the I don't know, just using food for comedy in this way is like quite a clever concept I haven't really seen. This ain't, this ain't no food fight, you know? This ain't no uh, mm. sausage party where it's like all like really obvious, dumb. It's like, yeah, yeah that, that, <laughs> one of the scenes uh, I had definitely seen clipped before or talked about in like a, a video somewhere is that it's like that sex scene with with the egg yolk, man. That yes. was like <laughs> that was like surreal. That was that was that was so disgusting to me. It was almost making me feel like um, pink flamingos or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like a, very like funny. That, I, I don't know what it was about that's that. Very funny. I actually talked about pink pink flamingos with my friend that I watched Tampopo with. We had a conversation. About, oh, really? About like. What's the what's the like most disturbing or unethical like or you know uh, <laughs> yeah. gross things you've seen in film? Because he's not as much of a film guy. I it was my friend that I haven't seen mm. in like two years, and I decided to yeah. kill two birds with one stone and watch the podcast movie while he was visiting, as I do. And uh, yeah, Pink Flamingos came up, and also yeah, we had a maybe we'll get into this later. We you know because we we noticed that <laughs> they did kill a turtle. On, on screen so yeah yeah a conversation <laughs> about like the chicken and pink flamingos and yeah yeah and that's really not what i was anticipating comparing this movie to but it's a, it's like a unique unique way to do humor um mm -hmm. especially when it like it really was playing with the, <laughs> the like sexual stuff um there's that really funny sex scene where they're like it's like gradually escalating like how they're involving food you know yeah. it seems like more kind of standard and then they're introducing like live prawns and like making them crawl along the skin and just craziness like that and yeah i think <laughs> i think it's like effective it's humorous um, it's uh 
very visually striking. Like I can I can remember the angle <laughs> uh, the, that yeah, those yeah. films were seen. Like I remember like the fucking the salt and the lemon on the breast and the mm-hmm. yeah the fucking yeah uh, that that was a very memorable and very funny scene and shocking and you know shock humor works. Like I like seeing seeing things that uh, surprise me. I like seeing things that are kind of ballsy because <laughs> you know yeah or egg yolky in this case i think maybe people are too self self-conscious about what audience members want to see and what might be too much for audience members and i, I kind of i i do respect films that kind of just like want to show something weird and different and bizarre and might make people feel uncomfortable but you never know you know unless you show it to an audience i like i like films that do that yeah yeah it's definitely trying something Something crazy, something different. But <laughs> everyone's got to see that egg yolk scene, man. The, de- the dedication those actors have to swapping that egg yolk. You know, they don't crack for a second. Mm-hmm. It's just, a, it's so excruciating. There's a lot of like just excruciating kind of like cringe humor, which is is my like, as a British person, yes. that's kind of my territory <laughs> right there, you know. You know, the office peep show there's loads of awesome like i can't i shouldn't even be looking at this or <laughs> mm-hmm. just just cringy situations almost like sitcom level like stuff um which of course is appropriate with it being trying to be a comedy first and foremost because uh, yeah it's, it's like it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous pretty silly the whole framing of it like it's not it's not trying anything outside of that like it a lot of the humor for me was actually from just the the bizarre dialogue with how like it's, it's obviously part of the joke like how they're they're talking about this ramen as if it's like this this life-changing thing and they're d- describing it like they've got sincerity but they they lack guts they're smooth but strong and like all this like funny ridiculous kind of over descriptions and he's like apologizing to the pork before he eats it yes like, it's just so it's so ridiculous and over the top it's uh yeah very heightened and exaggerated and i i I would also like to point out the music does a great job at Mm. carrying that over exaggerated tone and i think the music particularly might be part of the big reason why people are calling it like western inspired like not just the obvious things like the fucking cowboy hat but i think i think the tone of the music is also you know a, a part of that and how the energy yeah. of each scene is is displayed in a, in a very over exaggerated, uh, very uh, <laughs> kind of I guess ironic, you know, just very humorous way. The seriousness that you can't possibly interpret as as extreme seriousness or genuine seriousness, but the the heightened ironic uh, satirical seriousness. I, I love it very much. Yeah, because uh, yeah, that is kind of what makes that western uh parody framing so funny it's like it's such a <laughs> it's such a bizarre kind of juxtaposition like when you think of the westerns it is the the men's men with their gun mm-hmm. and they got their hat and they're they're dirty in the desert and it's like <laughs> this is like just people awkwardly sat in a line like slurping soup for like minutes and minutes and like ordering food <laughs> like clinically and sl- <laughs> it is like a funny way to do it but it does still have the little like yeah, the rival noodle shops. It's the the wanderer who comes into the town and like fixes a problem and then leaves. Like all these kind of tropes yeah, from that. exactly. The, I, yeah, they kind of open it up and make it a bit more accessible, I guess. Cause yeah, 
think this is this is the director's second movie. He's got a couple of other comedies in there, which I'd be curious, kind of how they land. But the just hearing it as like a <laughs> described as a a, a parody of westerns was kind of what got me intrigued into this to begin yeah with. and it's kind of interesting because it like that's not that's not like the most immediate observation from me in terms of watching the film like I, it's very possible to just watch this and be like this is weird <laughs> you know yeah yeah it's very odd but then you know you kind of clue in the inspirations over time, and you know the the fucking spoiler alert, the fucking end scene where the guy's just getting shot over and over is very <laughs> yeah. funny. Yeah, so so you start you start to notice the inspirations over time, and even even devoid of you know if this movie existed in a vacuum without being conscious of those inspirations, it's still very funny. It's still very entertaining in its own right. It's very interesting how it, it's almost like they they just decided like okay what's what's every sort of little mini scene little vignette that we can do related to ramen you know like and, and it mm-hmm. in some ways that seems silly and they presented it as silly but it is also kind of like an earnest like reflection of of culture it it, it is like a very you know, it's like it's like if a Canadian did, did the same thing and it was like about hockey, which those films do exist and they're bad. But um, <laughs> those films do exist and they're bad. But some, this is something that works and it's like, OK, it's it's sharing and embracing the culture. It's not taking it too seriously, but it is it is putting something on display that, you know, is important and that people love from from the culture, you know, the 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 etiquette towards eating and like the the ordering at the restaurant and the woman, you know, like memorizing the order and everybody like, oh, like clapping for how mm-hmm. so impressed they were that she memorized the whole thing. And then like, yeah, the fucking the the <laughs> oh, my God, that that scene with the uh, old businessmen where they all ordered the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. And then. No, yeah, and the I was about to mention that one. At the at the end, he's getting kicked under the table because he wanted he, he had his own thing that he wanted to order and he's like expected to conform with them. And then they're fucking they're, yeah. the beat red faces at the end. Loved it. Yeah, that no, that's scene. a great scene because it stays uh, it stays like rooted on the waiter, so it like really makes it feel way more excruciating for each of the characters like waiting mm-hmm. for that order. Um, but no, that was that was one of the things on this uh, cultural guide thing. It, it, it specifies that scene um, as far as the as this. Yeah, Japan is well known as a hierarchical society that values consensus over conflict for better or worse the scene plays on those expectations hierarchy in fact is explicitly built into almost every interaction in japan for example the japanese language itself has different sets of endings for words depending on whether you're speaking to someone positioned higher or yeah. lower than you in a hierarchy it is impossible to speak with someone in japanese without explicitly expressing your relative hierarchical position to that person any viewer can see that the young man in the scene is at the bottom of the hierarchy but a Japanese viewer would have a much clearer understanding. Anytime you take guests to a meal in Japan, there's an unspoken cultural rule governing where each person sits and how everyone behaves. The more senior a person is, the further from the door he, and yes, most of the time it is a he, will sit. Yeah, just stuff like that. Fascinating. Um, yeah, because obviously like that's not going to be at the top of my mind. Um, like the, the scenes are still funny and like the acting is good enough and you're picking up kind of the general gist of the joke, but it definitely... Feel like it would strike harder like if you were 
if you're actually there in mm-hmm. Japan in the 80s and you have the full co- cultural uh, context. Another mm-hmm. interesting one, um, this is the only other one I'll dump on you guys, uh, to do it. with the homeless men. Um, there's like a whole section, a whole gag with these like homeless guys that like like sneak in to like make eggs or something. They, they have this whole like side gag. Um, yeah, where the protagonist and the son enjoy food with a band of homeless men. From a modern Western perspective, the scene may be considered endearing. In 1980s Japan, it would have been considered provocative. Homelessness in Japan manifests differently than we're accustomed to. Almost all homeless people in Japan are middle-aged or older men, many of whom have fallen victim to the country's extremely rigid social and economic institutions. They do not beg, do not interact with non-homeless, and are very often very well-dressed. Many refuse to accept help from the government for fear that their families will find out. They tend to congregate in tight communities of well-organized cardboard shacks. Many of these trappings of Japanese homelessness are evident in this sequence. While statistics on Japanese homelessness homelessness are sparse, it is anecdotally said that many of these people previously had well-paying jobs and families, but do uh, well, they fell out the system uh, mm-hmm. due to the rigid corporate structure. It's extremely difficult for a man who leaves the labor force once to return. Um, so when Guru Damn. takes Tampopo to find ramen master among the homeless, the film is doing something radical. It's shedding light on homelessness in a society w- which wants to ignore the shadow population. Tampopo provides an endearing human face for a forgotten population and forces the cinema going public to look at it. Um, another really interesting cultural angle. I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like we'll bring, we're talking about homelessness, um, with the movie Custom was on just a few episodes ago. True. Um, Wendy and Lucy. Yeah, Wendy and Lucy. Um, yeah, this is obviously a way more comedic slant on it, but again, you have to take into effect when the movie came out and what it was saying, when it was saying it, yeah. what audience it was saying it to. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the that's one of the interesting thing about comedies, though, right? Like, there's a bit of a a movement in the UK at the moment, like a arguing about whether to filter these old like comedies the um monty pythons and stuff where Ooh. i don't know i guess as a in bit, a bit boo of a, yeah. censoring them not boo monty python <laughs> yeah yeah i'm right there with you i think you had to see them as like a yeah a little snapshot of when they were made and what they were saying at the time based on that environment it doesn't really make sense to try and it's worse to pretend it didn't happen. It's media. You can put a warning at the fucking beginning of it. Like if we're allowed to yeah. fucking, if we're allowed to watch. You're, it's not. It's not like you're not allowed to create media that has controversial elements in it today. You just fucking like you know if it's su- if its subject matter is mature, just put that at the fucking beginning. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what's um, what's interesting going back to that uh, the businessman scene the waiter ordering mm. uh, scene so there's a criterion blu-ray for this and uh one of the featurettes is yeah. is literally a 90 minute long documentary about the production of the film from the director himself and i didn't watch oh, the wow. entire thing but i skimmed through it and you know watched I, I didn't have time to watch the whole thing but i watched like a few different scenes and it's funny that I mentioned the Neil Breen five-hour retrospective documentary where he takes five and a half hours to say absolutely nothing. But I think you would find <laughs> this really interesting. It might be available on YouTube. I think it's just called um, The Making of Tampopo. I'm sure you can find it somewhere. But yeah, hearing the director talk about what it was like to work with certain people on the set, the joys he experiences filming a particular scene and why, 
the efforts and considerations made into doing certain things. He's like, oh yeah, I couldn't see the the details in the child's eyes expression on the monitor. So here's me over here looking uh, away from the monitor to see the kid and make sure that it's all right there. Mm. The 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 scene with the the businessman and the, that beet red face. There's like an entire sequence of this documentary where they're going over like the makeup tests and uh, the different oh, cool. variations and different shades and doing camera tests with them and the actors talking about how like how much more red it looks before they film it but then on camera it doesn't look as red and so they're kind of joking and being like you know I was on a, I was on a movie once or, where I had makeup redder than this and everybody on set thought it looked so stupid like like I was drunk or something but then on film it looked perfect and so it's it's a really interesting lens into the the production of a film and it's really interesting hearing it from the director himself like his his video mm. diary made into a 90 minute little documentary feature i i think that's fascinating and uh yeah yeah i think you should check it yeah, out let's check that out for sure. yeah that sounds awesome yeah I, it does make me want to revisit the movie because i feel like now knowing some of these more like cultural trappings and some of the implications and like a lot of directors talk about like how they dread kind of like staging scenes where it's like a, a lot of characters sat around food eating but that's kind of like the whole premise and <laughs> yeah. point of this movie there's so many of those and i think a lot of the time they are staged well they are like quite long shots of like five or six people all coordinating with each other and bouncing off each other and yeah sometimes some of the like gags just they feel it feels like scatterbrained um and a bit sidetracked sometimes like i felt especially towards the end that whole sequence where there's that like old woman in the supermarket just like squeezing peaches and <laughs> squeezing cheese and just like running around um it's an almost two hour long film and it felt like uh, i i prefer the the stuff with like the, the gangster with the white mm -hmm. hat that had like a, that had more of like an escalation and payoff to me like especially with that that whole death scene where he's, <laughs> his last words are just describing how to like serve wild boar really well or something yeah. ridiculous and then she agrees with him like <laughs> they'd be nice with soy sauce and a horseradish is like a final worst to him it's just like so so goofy yeah um, but, but so like so genuine and <laughs> how serious they're taking it it like really makes the humor work well you reminded me of the scene of the wife dying and <laughs> the husband's like wait maybe i can maybe i can cure her by getting her to cook and she like gets oh, up yeah, cooks yeah, the meal right. she like like a zombie then, gets up dies immediately after and then he forces his kids to finish the meal like this is the last meal your mother ever cooked you eat right now they're like crying like that's a great scenario like that's a great concept for a scene i it is awkward it is cringe and it is just bizarre but it just the the creative writing that it takes to imagine and envision these different scenarios and they're all very similarly thematically linked and and mm -hmm. you know the the tie-ins of food and everything it's a, it's like a fun creative writing experiment it's like it's like a you know you, you have all these different ideas and you can fit all of them in your film if you want <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like yeah he didn't necessarily try to tie every single incident into one story he just decided like yeah fuck yeah. it i'm gonna show this i'll show this if i want which is cool you know you you can you don't have to conform to the set rules of filmmaking and storytelling that everyone else is doing you can just kind of do your own thing and this is an example of it working out 
which is very yeah, respectable. It's almost like a Monty Python meaning of life type thing. Yeah. Where, yeah. Like yeah. Just, that's a it's good quite scatterbrained. comparison, it's, actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely not what I was expecting, but I wound up like, especially, especially the first like 30, 40 minutes. So it's like, <laughs> oh, wow, we're actually like doing this. This is like a really funny, mm-hmm. crazy idea that you're presenting here. And like, yeah, I just think, um, but yeah, I love comedy, obviously, but I, I, I love the slant of getting like different cultures, kind of like the way they'll spin certain jokes and set up certain things and. I don't know. I don't know what other culture is going to be coming up with that egg thing, man. Like I'm really <laughs> hung up on it, but that that <laughs> that felt like <laughs> this is definitely yeah. like a Japanese <laughs> <laughs> idea right here. <laughs> a very uh, sincere snapshot, <laughs> little window into <laughs> Japan. Yeah, I loved it. Even in the uh, the, the end credits, where it's like, it's oh just god, yeah, what was that like about? A baby drinking breast milk. That was, I, I, the I, I, first I thought that was like, food. again, like a, a thematic thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it is like kind of the first thing you eat. Like the guys were driving a milk truck. True. Like they were the main. <laughs> maybe it was something to do with that. Um, like just bringing it full circle, linking it all back around. And it is, yeah, yeah like a bit of that shock humor, you know, like just associ- making that association in your brain. Like, because also all those scenes of like the slurping up the noodles and the juice and shit. It's like a lot of edgy kind of imagery um yeah really funny yeah especially the more i think about it yeah there's some great looking food in the film too that Mm. uh omuri rice looked fucking dope there's literal and figurative food porn in this film and i guess i should mention before we wrap this up i had didn't know anything about this film but a friend had told me that i should eat ramen while watching it so i did order some good mm, vancouver yeah. ramen from one of the better spots and uh it was a great <laughs> experience to be yeah. slurping down ramen it does with make a you friend. want to slurp some ramen yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did that enough noise i got i got the the intended preferred uh 70 millimeter imax <laughs> version <laughs> of this film by slurping down some fucking good ramen noodles and uh got that 4d experience exactly exactly (laughs) yeah i really enjoyed this film i will agree that there were um some parts that i was more invested in than others but even during the parts that i was kind of like you know there were some scenes or some sequences where let's say i was a bit zoned out but it wasn't like zoned out like uh get me out of here or uh, i'm bored or like oh i'm thinking of you know entirely different things it was just kind of like a calming disassociation or detachment from it that i was still enjoying and it was just a nice kind of like passive experience watching the film at those scenes does that make sense yeah yeah that does make sense i was also never bored despite me bringing up that two-hour runtime also partially because of that kind of scatter shot structure like you don't know what's coming it's just going to whip out a random gag that sure one might not really connect with you but one probably will um because there are quite a few of them in there and yeah some of them do link together and there's this loose thread um yeah i was never bored with it um it was always like constantly creative and silly um it probably just didn't need as much on the main tampopo like story of the like i don't really care about the noodle bar redemption thing that much like it's it's such a like loose (laughs) 
framing just to like drape everything. I'm glad it's there. Um, yeah, I'm glad it's there as well, but like mostly because of like the 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 funny like s- sitcom type moments where they are like sneaking to rival ramen places and going in their bins and like trying to figure out what their recipe is compared to theirs and like <laughs> tricking other chefs to like get their recipes and it's just it's so goofy and silly and I love that kind of thing um, and it it does really work. Sweet. I'm giving this one a 7 out of 10 for now. We'll see if it moves to an 8 on my next watch. It would definitely make my list of that year either way. Loved it. Great movie. Yeah. Yeah, this is this will be a low 8 for me. Low 4 star. Um, definitely not what I was expecting. Um, I'm glad, I don't know, just to have like a another weird, obscure comedy to like whip out. Like if you want to make someone feel things, you know whether it be a bit grossed out or have a good laugh or <laughs> just something a bit, bit different, a bit crazy. Cool. I guess uh, question time. Let's do some questions then from the Soda on Cars community. Head over to the subreddit over there. Leave whatever questions you feel like for future episodes, just like Cloud Shooter 32 did. He sent us a little bit of an article here. Um, I can link to you in the chat down there if you want to look um coppola recently was quoted saying we're on the verge of a golden age i was kind of uh, teasing this earlier when we're talking about oppenheimer wonderful and illuminating cinema seen in large theaters with the recent failures of temple ips like indiana jones and the flash as well as the success of original critically acclaimed films like barbie and oppenheimer do you think there's any credibility to his claim and if so how do you think it will manifest itself um yeah i mean i hope he's right i think it's a little too early to tell if you actually go on the article it's funny because he says um i've yet to see them yeah (laughs) but the fact that people are filling big theaters to see them and that they are neither sequels nor prequels no number attached to them meaning their true one-offs is a victory for cinema yeah the movies are back baby uh yeah i think um you know this is this is a particular thing to note post-covid because it's not like movies and the cinema going experience just kind of waned out over time there was like a massive event that (laughs) kind kind of ruined things for a bit and people were taking a while to get back into things in the same way like yeah that that's a big part of the story so yeah i mean i i it, it is great seeing people excited for two things we have to remember like people were excited because it's Christopher Nolan and Barbie. Mm-hmm. So it's still, it's still that they're attached to things they're familiar with, but it's nice that it's not, I mean, yeah, like it's super, people are getting superhero movie fatigue in a sense where it's not like no one wants to see a superhero movie anymore. It's just that it has to be a good one for it to make money <laughs> or something that people want to see. You can't just make money assuming that people will see it because it's a superhero movie alone. You kind of have to make it a movie that people are excited for, not just a, a character's IP or whatever, unless unless you're sticking to just the most popular characters ever. Like, you know, any Batman reboot is going to get people watching it. Any Spider-Man reboot is going to get people watching yeah. it. But yeah, to exhaust all of these other characters, then sure, people are fatigued. You got to do something special with it. Yeah. For now, things feel a little bit invigorated, I guess. Um, I don't know if anyone was really expecting this level of success from this. It was just something so natural about it, like the way it converged. Like it didn't, it didn't feel like this corporate 
celebration despite it being a literal Barbie movie and um, about the man who <laughs> created a bomb. Um, yeah, there was something like really positive about that. And since seeing a bunch of other stuff, I feel like just there are more crowds about like whenever I'm going, when I've, whenever I've been to the theater ever since this event, like it, it just seems busier. Like people mm -hmm. are, they're like really making an effort to go and engage in these spaces. And like, I don't think I've actually seen this outside of, I don't know, like really niche type things, you know, like a, like a Breen event, you know, the, the type, of, type of thing you have to know about. True. Um, you know, this is like just the, the average theater experience, but like people are there and it, and it was not like, it wasn't about like a Marvel movie. That's like the only, only one I could really think of was like the end game, like how people flocked out to see that and it was busy, but this does feel different. Um, but yeah, it is, it is so linked to Nolan and Greta slash Barbie mm -hmm. um, as an IP. I don't know if that necessarily means there's going to be like a trend because they, they always take away the wrong of ideas course. from these trends, don't they? You know? it's, 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 <laughs> they don't know what the fuck is the reason for the success. So to them, <laughs> yeah. it will be like, oh, we need more toy movies. That's what people, the people want toy movies yeah. and biopics. That's and it's like ignoring yeah. the artists involved and the, the artistry involved. Ignore that part. Like, oh, that's why people, well, that's why this movie is successful because it's Barbie. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah. yeah, they don't know what the fuck they're doing. It's gigantic corporate idiots that are only in their positions because of nepotism, and they don't know what the fuck art is, and they're making the decisions funding the art. And, of course, tale of as old as time, I think we should just be supporting artists and not, you know, I've made this rant a billion times, but yeah. <laughs> Find the artists you love, support them. Hopefully the studios can make talented artist visions come to life like they did with this. Hopefully we see more of that in the future, but we'll see we'll see what the takeaway is. Maybe maybe we were maybe we were just in a really big lull in terms of like corporate mainstream cinema for the past decade plus. Maybe we maybe we are coming back. Maybe we're maybe we're on the up and up. I don't know. We'll have to see. It's hard to tell, man. Some of the, some of the conclusions people take away from uh these successes and failures, I feel like, are just a bit like, well, <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. Um, we're not say seers. We can't. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, but speaking of Coppola, though, that you heard about this like thing? Is this, this passion project he's been working on for like ten years or something? No. <laughs> I keep I keep seeing these like stories about it. He's like really struggling to get this thing. It's like a big sci-fi epic with like, um, Megalopolis. <laughs> Yeah, got Adam Driver, Aubrey Plaza, Forrest Whitaker, John Voight, Sh Shia LaBeouf's in it apparently. Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just really curious when that will actually come together or something, or if it will just be trapped forever, like um, a Terry Gilliam movie. Looks like there's set photos. Oh, it might, yeah, it must be Unless, in post production. Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah, it says post production on IMDb, so hopefully that's the thing. Yeah, what's the? Oh, yeah. What has Mr. Coppola been up to? Let's see. What was the last thing? So, yeah. Because what, Godfather 3 was like early 2000s? A film called Distant Vision in 2016 that apparently nobody watched and nobody liked. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't seem to have been doing a lot of important things for a long time. 
<laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. It'd be nice if we could get like one more epic out, I guess. If it actually yeah. comes together. Not not like Godfather three or whatever. Jack. <laughs> well. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, let's do this one from uh Estherson Misojos to Alex and Adam, who as of writing this are the only members of the podcast anyways lol. Your specific <laughs> brands in YouTube have somewhat negative connotations to them, i.e. I hear everything and your movie sucks. Now, most of your fan base knows that this does not really reflect the content that you create. Alex doesn't really hear everything and Adam doesn't make videos exclusively telling filmmakers why their movies are bad. However, do you think this choice has impacted the general perception of your channels in any way? Do you think it's any way related to how YouTube and social media algorithms tend to favor negative language as it drives engagement? Edit. To add to this, I recently remembered an incident in 2017 just after The Last Jedi came out. Rich Evans and Jack Packard of Red Letter Media were streaming on Twitch on the now-defunct prereq channel. Jack had just expressed an opinion that, for me, aligned with what Alex said on his video of the movie, and I recommended it in the chat. Jack refused to look it up because he saw the channel name and thought it was another CinemaSins. Lol. Yeah, I kind of made bed with the made my peace with this. Um, yeah, like uh, it is like the branding, um, but I feel like that was also kind of like part of the fun is like having this this way of getting people's attention. But then when you actually go into the content, it's like pretty measured and fairly relaxed. Like I'm not like bouncing off the walls like. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty, I don't know, I'm pretty sure. I lay out my, just how I'm feeling. Um, yeah. As good a faith as possible. Um, and like, yeah, I've heard, I've heard that feedback before. They're like, oh, I won't watch that channel with that name. It's like, okay. Other people will. Sure. Um, yeah, 100% it can influence people. I've always, I don't know, like, that's kind of a funny thing to hear uh, that that was Jack's response. Because I've always kind of thought that like one of the, oldest most common idioms or whatever we want to call it is is like don't judge a book by its cover yeah like that you know you can just you can you can just click through the video and listen to like a couple seconds and you know if it's not worth your time then you don't have to watch the whole thing or maybe you know but to swear something off because of the title is kind of interesting yeah the the title the title of a channel can influence people in that way in the sense that i don't think anybody should be like surprised if they name their channel something and people interpret from how they name the channel mm -hmm. for myself in particular you know your movie sex is not like it's it's you know i i think that i think i avoid a little bit of that by having it singular you know like clearly i'm talking about more than one movie Clearly, I don't mm -hmm. think every movie sucks. It's the name of like a series on my channel. It's the name of the channel. But I think, I, I don't know, I've, I've existed on this platform long enough that anybody that does say something like, do you just hate every movie? Like, they're mm -hmm. not taken seriously. Like, <laughs> so it doesn't, really, yeah. doesn't really matter to me. I do want to change the channel name to just YMS because yourmoviesucks.org is kind of a mouthful. But I'm trying to find out if yeah, I'll lose my verification check mark if I change the name. Because mm. I've already got the at. I've already got youtube.com slash at YMS, so that's fine. Yeah. I guess it, hate is a bit more of a charged word than sucks as well. But again, it's, it's phrased with an I. 
like it's I statements. Um, I don't know. I feel like that separates it in a way. I'm not expecting anything from anyone. It's just things I'm saying. Um, yeah, and I mean, like the the bulk of the content, or at least like the main series or whatever, is like I hate, right? And then in any yeah. other video where you're recommending things, like it's clear in the title of the video. I think the titles of the video have more to do with the content of the video than the name of the channel. The name of the channel, you know, it'd be weird to assume that all every video on the channel is the exact same from the title of a channel. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I wouldn't even necessarily blame someone for assuming certain things because like the, especially if we're looking at the landscape now, yeah, for sure. There is a bunch of like that kind of stuff out there. Um, but yeah, you don't need to uh, book cover it, as you just said. Because um, that was another thing. It was kind of like stumbling. When I was like trying to think of the channel name originally, I wanted something with like oh, cynical or so, something dry, like the, all the like stereotypical like British content mm -hmm. was, especially at the time, like inspired by like Total Biscuit, the cynical Brit and stuff like that. But that's all like taken. It was like, what, what angle is left? Um, I just yeah happened to stumble across one that also <laughs> that algorithm tends to favor. Um, yeah, just yeah, just stumbled into it. I think I, I think I consciously knew that critical content was something that did better. You know, ignoring the algorithm, it's just human nature to engage with yeah. things that are breaking a circle jerk or with things that are. Uh, criticisms or dunkings or making fun of and I you know there's comedy within that that's that's where comedy like it's it's a little in terms of creating art or content out of uh, your opinions on other content like I, when I'm praising a movie there's not as much room for jokes and even if I want to write jokes in those sometimes it feels inappropriate or unfitting sometimes especially when there's pacing and music involved and showing film footage and all that stuff that goes into my videos, sometimes I want the tone of what I'm saying to match the tone of the film mm -hmm. that I'm recommending so that people understand what they're getting and it can act as a recommendation for people to be like, oh, I like what this is, let me go for it. So in that sense, it's a bit more difficult to be like sarcastic, dry humor, blah, 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 even though there's some times where I have done that in recommendations, but... Yeah, in in criticisms, it's it's a lot. Uh, th there's a lot more you can do in terms of creating comedy, in terms of uh, creating en engagement. So, yeah, I've I've always kind of known and recognized that like the criticisms and even the meme type videos and movies that I cover on my channel are going to be the ones that get the most attention and do the best. But that doesn't stop me from finding the value in recommending smaller films, in talking about smaller films, in doing festival reviews, in trying to get people that are familiar with my content or subscribe to my content, you know, maybe lured in with the cool cat. But then by the end of it, they yeah. they learn about Jim Cummings or Matt Johnson or, you know, uh, there there was a point in time where I was the only notable person online talking about fucking... Denis Villeneuve or the Safdie brothers or you know a lot of people a lot of people that have since blown up over time yeah I find value in helping people find those things and uh I think that it you know it's it's a way to contribute to seeing their projects get funded 
seeing there be more interest in funding them from producers. If there's more eyes on them, they're more likely to get their project made, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember kind of twigging onto this around when then I quite like Mark Commode, and I just found myself like on these playlists of like his his reviews where he'd get the most impassioned about something, you know, like he he doesn't like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, yeah. and like the it, the difference in his review when he's <laughs> expressing it is like entertaining in a different very way. entertaining. Um, his review on the visit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got some really great funny ones. Yeah. He's got such a great vocabulary. Um but that yeah, that kind of highlighted to me like yeah, there is just like a different level of interest when people listen when you're like kind of mad about something <laughs> in a way they don't. Um the other way around, which is unfortunate. That's why you got to kind of sneak it in or build a platform like you have with the film festival yeah. stuff. Um it's not impossible. I'm I'm happy and proud to have an audience that is genuinely excited to hear me talk about festival movies and also to have an audience that like, you know, at a certain point in time, go back however many years, like it was more of an effort from my part to uh, discover smaller films. But because I've built an audience of people that are interested in foreign and independent films, the conversations on my subreddit are often like, hey, Adam, you should check out this movie or this is playing at this festival. You know, I'll stream mm. myself making my festival schedule and going through each thing on the pro, each single film on the program being like, OK, here's why I'm watching it. Uh, I like this director for that reason. Maybe someone will be like, oh, you got to check out this one. It went this thing at this other thing or this director, blah, 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 blah. And because I fostered that community, it helps me out as much as I'm helping anybody else out. It helps me out yeah. because I have a genuine interest in in new artists and new art and, you know, trying trying to help people discover things that they love. So it's it's a symbiotic relationship. And I'm I'm happy with the um, the audience that I've built up in the community. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Um, let's do this one from Goosey McGooseface 2. I watched Corridor Crew's latest CGI review and they mentioned how the trailer for Gareth Edwards' new film, The Creator, may have used footage from the 2022 Beirut explosion as a shot with some CGI over it. They took the point it was improper and made them keen not to see it. But I thought, why, since movies regularly use footage from, say, World War II or the yeah. Vietnam War or the Iraq War, and people see it as stock footage, same with news B-roll of natural disasters and crime footage, what's your angle? It's called a reference shot, and, a, a, you know, sometimes we live in a fucking internet age where we have a variety of real-world events taking place, and if you are tasked with creating a realistic explosion then you're probably going to use a real explosion as a reference shot. Now, you know, we can have a conversation about if it's too similar or dissimilar or what that means to the artistry. Like, is it like tracing? I don't think so, especially for computer animation. References are used all the time. Like, people will just often, mm -hmm. like, film uh, tr even computer or traditional animation, animation in particular. It, it, reference shots are very useful. I wouldn't consider it unethical for like, I don't know, to use uh, if a director really wanted to know like, okay, what's the most realistic way it looks when someone gets shot in the head and there's ver various archival footage that, you know, you don't even have to go to like a snuff website. You can just find it on Reddit a lot of the time, you know, like in the, even in the popular subreddits, like what the fuck there's footage of people dying or someone, you know, like 
it's not the subject yeah. of the entire subreddit. It's not like the the goal of the subreddit. But you can find these things without like going into like the dark corners of the internet. And if you want to look at that and go like, okay, well, you know, this destroys my idea of the the cliched like, oh, I'm shot and I'm gonna fall over slowly. No, you just you drop like a fucking rag doll because your body can't hold mm-hmm. itself up because you're dead, <laughs> right? So if you yeah. you know, and it's clear which directors made those considerations. I if you if you're trying to pr- present something in your film that's supposed to be real life and not some exaggerated thing that doesn't exist then you might use real life to to reference that i don't you know is it is it i don't understand what it's doing to the victims of the tragedy to use it as a reference shot for an explosion and i think even the the noticeable comparison between the trailer and the the actual event is something that just seems like kind of like only something that can be hyper focused on if it's just a Twitter thing, like right, like it's, it's Twitter's the fucking problem here, not. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen this exact um, example with my own eyes, um, but who's who's to say the the context even like does does that matter too? Like, what if what if it's the intent of a scene to use imagery or invoke feelings or imagery from recent conflicts in order to make some kind of point or yeah like they're fucking how 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 much have people used the references from like hiroshima and shit when they were when you know when Mm -hmm. you if you make like a nuclear explosion in a film like we have documented accounts of what what sort of devastation exists in real life and people use that in their films and it might match up one to one because they're trying to be realistic <laughs> right it's yeah. not it's not saying that the event that took place was not a bad event like i don't i don't know what the the perceived fear or perceived implication is like i, I don't understand what they think is bad about like that. are they saying it's bad because it's like cutting corners and that they should be i don't think no i think it's coming from a moral I, I think it's a moral panic not a artist I, I think it's more based on like oh this is a real thing that happened to real people you that's insensitive not not like you're a lazy artist. Like I, I don't think that's what the conversation is. I could be wrong. Maybe this is just something that I haven't looked into enough. But that was my vague understanding. Yeah. I'd probably have to research it more to have a stronger take on it. But I mean, I don't know. There's a lot, like a lot of war imagery baked into this stuff. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's necessarily inherently bad. If you want to use some of it, especially if you're trying to make some kind of point. Like we haven't seen the movie. I don't know if that's what it's exactly. Going for. It's a trailer. We don't even know what it is in the fucking movie. Yeah, and it could be. It could be like an early. If if it's like a computer generated explosion, it could look different in the movie. Oftentimes in trailers, they'll they'll have like rough shots of computer animation that aren't completely finished. Like we don't. It's it's really weird to be making those judgments, but yeah. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, I feel like this conversation is a bit more interesting when you're talking about more like the, you know, where they're just re- reenacting or recreating. Um, what's it, is it? Was it Paul Greengrass? Is that his name? Where he's got like oh, a yeah. bunch of these. Um, yeah, when it's actually about the real event, like that fucking Norway shooting or whatever, like that was, that seemed insensitive. Yeah, the one in Norway. Yeah, I was trying to remember what it was called. Um, 
22nd of July. Yeah. Um, that's the one. 2018 movie. Yeah, I, re- I remember think- having these kind of thoughts around that. Because that's so sensationalized. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It makes you question it a bit more. Um, and then that's also judging the movie and not the trailer, too. But Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, whereas like if it's, if it's just one shot from a trailer, um, I feel like at least see the movie before making moral kind of calls yeah. about it. I don't know. That's what seems right to Not me. that you can't judge trailers or anything, but like, what are we, if we don't even know what the context is, especially. Yeah. Yeah, you want at least the framing to be known before you completely write something off. Like, it, it's, it's happened before. Like, trailers lie sometimes, or the context is different when it's... Yeah, or or the the ever so common shot that's in a trailer but not in the movie (laughs) yeah yeah i think some are going as far as like some of them some of the marvel ones i think they just make like shots like they like render full complete shots that like just aren't the same like they're Mm -hmm. they're made to trick you (laughs) i'm so yeah who knows all right last question yeah let's end on be a good one. Let's do this one from Hey Stupid seventy four. What's up, boys? Hope you're both staying hydrated. Recently, it was announced that Disney will be completely stopping the manufacturing and release of physical media in Australia, with the last film receiving a physical release slated to be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. After that, no other films under Disney will receive an official DVD slash Blu-ray release, and will instead presumably only be available. On Disney Plus. If Australian fans want to buy DVDs or Blu-rays, they will have to shop internationally. As a physical media collector, this feels like a slap in the face, but it may be a sign of what's to come in other countries. Penny for your thoughts. Man. I find it funny that Australia apparently doesn't buy enough physical media that Disney feels that it's even worthwhile to print it. Because their internet sucks. <laughs> yeah, it is bad. So like if you're streaming or torrenting, like I guess that's what you're doing, but like you'd think that physical media would be popular. It's very popular in Germany, yeah. uh, and you can tell by just how many German Blu-rays exist that don't exist anywhere else. For like American mm. films, Smiley Face, Operation Avalanche, that fucking 4K collectors thing for the new uh, Suspiria was a German-only release, mm. and like countless things I have to fucking import from Germany. That's annoying, but I have a region-free Blu-ray player. I am I'm upset with where Disney is going because uh, it sucks. It's uh, yeah, I would like physical media, and I wish that Disney didn't own Fox because that makes things not look great for the future of certain Fox-owned properties that I love and would I would like to see get physical media releases. But uh, what can we do about it other than? buy physical media which a lot of people just aren't doing so <laughs> you know what can we do it's yeah disney man they're, they're putting their foot in their mouth right now like the, the streaming world stuff is like i don't know there's some some stuff we weren't some consequences we didn't see coming that are just like oh i don't i don't like this new precedent that's being set by this new landscape like uh how many shows do they just like just vanish like that that <laughs> warwick davies uh God damn it, that that Lucasfilm thing. <laughs> Willow? There was like a Willow show that came out and then Where? they just like <laughs> ripped it away. It's like gone. It's um, like it doesn't exist anymore. They've like taken it off the... It's just, it's just a weird precedent to set as far as... <laughs> like, so how does... Like, do, how do you watch it now? No, yeah, you just... You have to pirate it. Yeah, yeah. 
You have to pirate it if you want to watch it. But that sucks. Like, like teams of people would have worked on that show, and it's like, what do they have to show for it now? You know. At least it got released <laughs> on like Batgirl. True. Yeah, true. That's a, that's a worse example. That is a, that is a more extreme example. But the fact it even happened at all, and it's becoming like a standard, almost expected thing. It's like, yeah. man, what a what an unfortunate quirk that it allows them to do that. It does seem like it's happening more often. Yeah, fuck. I mean, if you live in Australia, you love physical media. You got to get a, a region-free Blu-ray player. That's the only th- fucking thing to do, I guess. 4K Blu-rays are region-free, except for like a few, like maybe maybe like 10 of them that were accidentally region-locked because they're not supposed to be. The standard for 4K Blu-rays is... Yeah, you can <laughs> you can look up, what you can fuck? read about that. I don't know. I don't understand it either, but that's my understanding <laughs> of... 4K Blu-rays are generally region-free. There's a very small amount, handful of them that are not. Yeah, but then there's a lot of media that doesn't exist on 4K. Blu-ray is like the highest quality available. At which point, yeah, you got to get a region-free Blu-ray player and hope that your favorite films aren't owned by Disney. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have much power in the situation, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's kind of... Yeah, yeah. I, it's bad. <laughs> is my answer. It's <laughs> yeah. bad. I don't like it. Yeah, but there's a lot of a lot of things in the universe that are bad that I don't like that I feel powerless to uh, do anything about. So here we are. Yeah, I suppose in Aussie they're already a bit more used to some of the the crazy weird like filtering with like video games and stuff. Like, yeah, video games has been like. It's a video game specifically. I remember, like, Left 4 Dead and I think GTA or something. It's, like, weirdly censored mm-hmm. in Australia specifically. I don't, know. I don't know what you guys are doing over there. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that with a bunch of stuff. The weird, weird government <laughs> restrictions. Yeah. All right. Well, Those are it. some good questions. Thank you. Yeah, that was. All right, we got a film recommendation. It would be my turn. But uh, we're having a guest on, and I let them pick. Our guest is Jay McCarroll from Nirvana, the band, the show, also composer, the kid detective, and Blackberry. And uh, yeah, he's a awesome composer slash actor collaborator, uh, Canadian guy. And he'll he'll be talking about uh, we'll be talking about Barbie, but that's not the recommendation. Uh, But he's recommending. the Edge, which uh, is a 1997. Yeah, 1997. <laughs> Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> the post is funny. <laughs> and I actually have not seen this, so. Yeah, yeah me neither. You not? Okay. It was about a bear. Okay. Cool. Hell yeah. yeah I, have, I know nothing Scary about bear, this. Maybe. Don't know what I'm supposed to expect, but uh, that's his recommendation. And so uh, if you don't want to be spoiled for The Edge. Watch it before the next episode. These episodes come out every two weeks. You can listen to them early by going to sardonicast.com slash premium. Also, patreon.com slash sardonicast. You can listen to them as they're edited. Also, we got merch link in the description. Also, there's a sardonicast highlights channel. And also, we're probably uh, at some point, we're probably going to be doing like uh, like sponsored ad stuff, which uh, will not be in Mm. the premium slash patreon versions yeah so we're not including those yet we're talking about it we're gonna figure out how to do it uh they won't you know 
everybody else does it. I'm like one of the last people on the fucking planet that hasn't done it yet. So yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> I need. I need some money. Yeah, man. <laughs> Things are getting more expensive, and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I should probably probably do that. Also, in an unprecedented first, I think I am also hmm. going to reveal the recommendation for the the episode after because it is my turn. And the reason I'm revealing okay. it now is because Neon is doing a uh, 4K re-release in the United States right now. So when this episode is out, you could probably watch it that day. For Old Boy 2003, oh, my boyfriend's yeah. cool. going to be visiting this week, and I want to watch it with him because he has never seen it. Cool. So, yeah, that's the that's so the, the 2013 Old Boy. Nice. No. Cool. No. 2003. Oh yeah. <laughs> For people who haven't seen Old Boy, do not. I repeat, do not watch the. T- 2013 Josh Brolin old boy. <laughs> do not do it. Watch the 2003 old boy. So yeah. just as a reminder, that is the episode, that is, that is the film rec- recommendation, not for next episode, but for the one after it. The reason I'm telling you about it now is because by the time the next episode is released, it, you know, it won't be fresh in theaters. And I just wanted to make sure people were able to catch it in theaters as the release is happening. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I think, I oh, think yeah. it's only in theaters in the U S for the neon re-release but there there are 4k blu-rays currently available anyway yeah i'll watch this in 4k yeah it's been a while perfect cool. perfect um uh, yeah i was looking for a good excuse to show show the bf all right i uh the edge is hap- the next episode is the edge <laughs> with jay yeah, this is crazy <laughs> i don't know what to expect and uh yeah me neither very excited boss baby's back barbie and the edge Maybe that'll be a better double feature than Barbenheimer. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. All right. Uh, have a happy tortured crossing. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a happy edge. <laughs> <laughs> have a happy goon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye bye.